Good evening and welcome to El Los Fumar Takes. This is our 197th take. Live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studio of Azel, Texas. I'm your host, Barry Duplissy, as always, and I'm so proud, so pleased, and so privileged to be with you all tonight. This is going to be a fantastic show, an awesome show with an awesome gentleman, one of my favorite people. I know I say that like every week, but I, this guest is actually one of my friends, and I am pleased to have him back. We're going to talk some great things about two fantastic companies that he represents on a daily basis. But before we get to the introductions, we do have to thank the people that make this show possible. So let's thank those people. That, and this tonight's show, of course, is sponsored by Drew Estate. Drew Estate is going to make someone a whole lot richer. Yes, the countdown has begun to February 17th. The people have been chosen. Random selections of Freestyle Live episodes on October 15th, November 11th, and just a few days ago on January 20th. Yes, some lucky individual from those groups is going to win a full, complete, 100%, whatever that entails. I don't know if a Bitcoin is round, but the whole caboodle of a Bitcoin is going to win one Bitcoin on February 17th. Uh, for the Freestyle Live that's taking place on their Facebook page. So take a look at that. And there are plenty of other free stuff that you can win, even if you aren't one of the finalists to win the Bitcoin. So it's definitely going to be a show you want to tune in for. So definitely check that out. And uh, during all of this talk about Bitcoins, Jewish State also launched the Acid 20 Connecticut Toro. Uh, in 1999, Drew Estate uh, unleashed acid cigars onto an unsuspected premium cigar world, bridging old world tobacco traditions and new world innovation for iconic tastes and style placing Brooklyn, New York, onto the premium cigar map with distinction. So to celebrate the 20th anniversary of Acid Launch, Drew Estate released the Acid 20 Robusto in 2019, has since added the Acid 20 Robusto Tubo, the Acid 20 Toro, and, uh, for, and the Alliance Cigar Company exclusive, the Acid 20 Bronxilla. So now the Acid 20 Connecticut Toro has now joined the celebration of over 20 years of Acid for Drew Estate. And welcome, everybody. This is our 197 take. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome in my good friends, uh, sponsored by United Cigar Smoke One Today and a Start Living United, Mr. Miguel Shodell of Crown Heads. Miguel, how are we doing tonight? Doing very well, my friend. I am uh, coming to you from my garage in South Florida. It is a chilly one out there, uh, but I'm happy to be having a cigar in my hand. I have a Coke Zero. And I have some lay in the rum from Brugal. I uh, couldn't be better. Fantastic. Um, like, okay, so just so everyone doesn't like give you crap, I mean, let's tell everyone what the, the degree is there. Cause this is Florida cold. So mind you, all of like my, my friends, our friends in the north, they're probably laughing at us because we're we're sitting in the same temperature, but it's chilly. It's 40, it's like 43 here. Um, which you know, old Miguel from Ohio would not have had a problem with, but I've been living in Florida three years, and I, I hate to admit it, but I have to admit it. It's, it's happened. I, my blood is must have thinned out or whatever they call it, but it is chilly. Well, it's, it's actually been really cold here in Texas the last week, and so I was, like, really, like, regretting, like, really not looking forward to doing shows this week just because it's been so cold. I mean, it was 17, 16, 15 degrees, um, you know, some evenings, and I'm like, good God, yeah, I'm, no, I'm not built for that. But today it's like, yeah, it's like the low is going to be like 43 tonight. So I'm like, oh, this is this is so much nicer uh, compared to what it's been. It's been insane. Um, but what, what's also insane, like this is something I'm really excited to talk to you about, Miguel. I mean, you're, you you were talking about Miguel of old who uh, 
Harold's from uh, Cincinnati. Um, and we all know you're a big Reds fan and everything, but how about, how about them Bengals, the mighty Bengals of Cincinnati? Uh, pretty, pretty amazing. You know, I have an aunt, um, my, my, the only, there were four siblings. My father was the youngest and, and, uh, the, uh, oldest aunt is still alive out of those four siblings. And she's a diehard Cincinnati Bengals fan. She lives in Norwood, Ohio, which is right next to Cincinnati. And, um, she is just living it up, man. Loving this, loving it. And and I got to tell you, I'm not a football fan, but when my Bearcats had a nice run to the uh, to the Final Four in in the uh, NCAA football thing, uh, I watched some football, and then I decided to watch some Bengals, and it's been really exciting. And I've actually caught other games as well. Uh, it's been really nice, brother. Listen, man, I. Cincinnati is a baseball town, but to have the Bengals performing the way they are after so many rough years, the 90s were really tough. Um, Boomer Esiason was the last quarterback that really took them, you know, this far. Uh, and then before him, it was Kenny Anderson. So, uh, man, it's great for the city of Cincinnati, man. I, I couldn't be happier. I see it on my – obviously, there's a lot of people I know from Cincinnati that follow me on Facebook – and just seeing all their excitement excites me, man. And so I'm, I'm, I'm watching a little bit of football. It's, it's been good. Yeah, the, all the way to the AFC Championship, man. I, I'm, I'm really excited for it. I mean, I was a big Boomer Sison fan when I was a kid. And then I actually liked – I really liked Jeff Blake, who never really did much for you guys, but mm-hmm. I always really liked him. And uh, um, I just was really, really – I mean, you guys had some really great players along the way that just never – Never got to experience that. I mean, Carl Pickens, you know, the wide receiver for a long yep. time. Yep. Um, some really, some really great folks. Uh, you know, Dan Wilkerson, defensive big tackle. Daddy. Yeah, big daddy, yeah. big big cat. Um, you know, it's crazy because um, there's been some good quarterbacks that have come through. Carson Palmer. Um, yeah. And you had the Red Rocket guy. I know. Andy I know. Dalton. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I listen. I don't claim to be a football guy, so. Uh, baseball, I could I could talk in depth, um, but it, the team has just never been able to, you know what I mean? Since '88, since the season of '80, so this is so exciting, and you know I, I couldn't be happier, man. It, it, I hope they make it to the Super Bowl, and as I say about the World Series, I'll say the same thing about the about the Super Bowl: is your goal is to get there. What happens in the Super Bowl, brother? It's a 50-50, right? Um, but getting there is the goal. And so I, I hope that they have, uh, they've got a challenge ahead of them. You got two young quarterbacks that are going to be battling out. Um, I'm guessing next week. So we'll see. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be exciting to see, uh, you know, who actually, who actually makes it. And Tom Brady went down tonight. That was a little unexpected. He almost came back. He almost well, pulled it off again. It was crazy. Yeah, we had the we had the game on. We weren't all sitting around the TV watching. We had it on. I mean, you never could count Brady out, but uh, it was an exciting game as well. Yeah, and of course my Packers lost, so that was super disappointing. And then you know, but uh, Coop got to rub it in my face that uh, our coach still can't <laughs> win a big game. So that was, you know, I'm happy for him because he now, got to experience it. Let me ask you a question. Um, their quarterback, Aaron um, Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers. When you look at his stats, I mean, they're just absolutely insane. Off the chart, insane. Yeah. And then I read that he's only won one Super Bowl. Right. That's, that is wild. When you yeah. look at his numbers, and if you just, you know, someone who didn't 
know who won a Super Bowl. You look at those, you go, man, that guy's got to have two or three of them under his. It's pretty wild how that works, man. Yeah, it's gonna be nuts. I mean, he's gonna he's gonna win another MVP this year more than likely. Yep. But yep. I mean, but I mean, well, here I'll give you another scary scary stat. Okay, so over the last uh, nearly forty years, the Packers have had two quarterbacks. Wow, Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre. Mm-hmm. Two Super Bowl wins. Wow. Yeah. Oh man. You know, it reminds me of a time when I was younger. And it seemed like the Niners had two quarterbacks for the longest time. It was Montana and Young. You felt like, man, have they had anybody else as their quarterback? I mean, that's what it must feel like as a Packer. You've had these two guys. That's just so yeah. rare. I mean, I think the Bengals in the 90s, like Achilles Smith and all these guys, I think they went through, I think they went through like 12 or 13 quarterbacks just in the 90s. Yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, you guys went through a really bad run there. I mean, but I mean, yeah. And then like you look at someone like Cleveland, where I mean, it's just yeah. it's a laundry list of Rolodex and names that have quarterbacked that team since in the same amount of time. Yeah. And then yeah. likewise, you know, like, you know, Patriots, Tom Brady. And now, you know, Cam Newton, Mac Jones in back to back season. So it's, you know, it's crazy. It's just really crazy. Uh, you know, the, with all the turnover that happens. But to have some of those constants has kind of been kind of cool, you know. Ben Roethlisberger was another one. He was a quarterback for a long time, you know. Yep. And this well, was his it, last season. It makes buying a jersey, you feel a little more confident in buying a jersey. <laughs> right. Right. For sure. For sure. So, um, Miguel, I would, I'd love to join you uh, for smoking tonight. So, I, I picked some cigars here, and I'm going to let you pick my cigar for me. Oh, fantastic. So, um, I think you'll approve of all my choices. Um, so, we've got the Mildias El Edmundo. Ooh. Nice. Uh, I've got the Crown Heads uh, Court Serie E, uh, the Sublime size. Nice. My, uh, my probably my favorite size of all the uh, of the, most of the blends that are that the Sublime comes in. Uh, and then here's a blast from the past. And uh, considering uh, one of our topics tonight, I thought it was appropriate. Uh, the Headley Grange uh, Black Lab. This is from the original. Wow! Look at that. So. Um, so I thought uh, I thought these were going to be some good choices for you to choose from. So what uh, what will will what will I be smoking first? I think you should smoke the CHC Serie. You got it. I am smoking the Luciano, the Dreamer, Lancero. Nice. Uh, three more sizes are going to debut uh, later in the week, but uh, I'm smoking the Dreamer right now. So you smoke the CHC, and then uh, I'll follow I'll follow you up here because I've got CHC and I got a Milbius as well, Edmundo. But my CHC is the fifty-one fifty. Well, thanks to uh, thanks to John for uh, getting this this actually this cigar out to me and this hat, this wonderful hat that we've got going on. So um, to, the, to the new address, yes, to the new address, yes, and here the the studios in Azle, Texas. I'm um, I, I really have to hand it. I really have to hand it to John and you guys. Um, I'm I, you and I have had this discussion. I'm not a snapback guy. But the snapbacks that y'all make are so comfortable, and they, I, f- I feel like they're real hats. <laughs> well, I every time I wear a snapback, they just yeah. don't work for me. <laughs> so I have to tell you, I, you know, I'm a hat collector. I'm a hat fan. Right. I, ninety nine percent of my hats are, um, are are fitteds. Mm-hmm. 
And I have, I would say over this last year, I have now added about 10 uh, snapbacks to my collection. Uh, for whatever reason, I'm starting to really like snapbacks. And um, I don't know why, but I'm really getting into snapbacks right now. But I, I feel you. I think John, John partners up with some great people that do a great job and, and really create a hell of a, a really hell of a, a, a quality hat. And, and I think that, that means a lot to him. Him and I talk hats a lot. And first and foremost, you got to have a quality cap, you know? Absolutely. Well, the, the Juarez hat, that's also the snapback back that you guys make. Um, it's got that multicolor font. I'm mm -hmm. not sure what to compare it to, but it's just a really cool. That's a really cool fit. The high crown fits me perfectly. I love it. I love it. Um, and then of course the, the, uh, the true, the, 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 how we both love that's not, uh, that's not either fitted nor snapback. It's the Mel Diaz Abbotsfield flannel. Uh, Incredible. I'm, I'm rocking, I'm rocking uh, Vancouver. Oh, Mounties, uh, nice. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I'm so. a huge, I'm a huge fan of Abbott's man. Their stuff is American made American fabric um, made in Seattle, Washington. I mean, just, just badass, man. I mean, I love all their stuff. If people out there don't know Ebbetsfield, you got to go Ebbetsfield flannels. They do more than flannels. They do hats, T-shirts, all this kind of stuff. And it's all vintage uh, baseball. Now they've actually got uh, in, uh, involved with MLB. Um, so, the, I mean, you're talking just some incredible stuff. You guys got – especially cigar smokers. They have a, a jersey in, in for the Tampa Tampa, Tampa Smokies. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Those, yeah, it was a cigar was their logo. So – and uh, Havana Sugar Kings. Oh, yeah, the, I, got, I got a lot of Havana Sugar King stuff. Yeah, so really, really cool stuff. I'm really excited um, about what some of the stuff they're expanding to. Um, and I've got, I've got some of, some of my, some of my favorites. This is the Vancouver one's probably still one of my favorites. And then I have the, uh, I have the Montreal Royals, which of course was the the team Jackie Robinson. Jackie yep. Robinson debuted for his professional his. Uh, Professional baseball. Well, not professional baseball. Yeah. Um, professional baseball. Yeah. Minor leagues are professional. Well, I mean, the Negroes were professional. Were, were the Negro leagues considered semi-pro? Semi or were they, they considered I, pro? It, it, they were definitely professional. They're of eyes. But as far as MLB went, they looked at them as not on the same level until right. about a year or two ago when they elevated all of their stats to Hall of Fame kind of uh, same level. And right. uh, that was big news a couple of years ago when they did that. And I thought that was that was the right thing. Because when you look at someone like Josh Gibson, I mean, if he was able to play in the in majors when, when he was playing, you know, him and Johnny Bench would be the top two catchers of all time, you know? Right. And we might not be debating the whole Barry Bonds really home run king thing because he might have he might have actually obliterated it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. He might have been at like eight hundred, like, and yep. then the whole the whole. But then we wouldn't have gotten Hank Garen. So there's a lot of the, the, yeah, oh, Indianapolis. He played for the Indianapolis Clowns. Yep, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah, the uh, um, it's interesting. You know, it's interesting to look back because like. Cause we got, we got some, we got some amazing players along the way too late, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, if Josh Gibson had been allowed to play, you know, the story of Henry Aaron doesn't ever happen or it's just not, he's just a great player of all yeah. time. Yeah. Just history, one of the all time. 
Yeah, and, and that's why I tell people, I mean, they say, Miguel, why do you love baseball so much? It's not just the game. It's the history. You can tell so much of American history through right. the game of baseball from when you had Confederates and you had um, Yankees fighting each other. And then on Sunday, they would pause and play a game of baseball. I mean, from that point to segregation, to integration, um, the, the influence of Latin ball players, the immigrants. I mean, American history is baseball history. Um, and, and that's what I find so beautiful about the game. Absolutely. I mean, I wrote a paper on it in college mm-hmm. about it, uh, about how the history of America could be told by watching the game of baseball for a deck, you know, for a century. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, That's um, so cool. And uh, specifically around, uh, I mean, I really, I really, I really got into it um, around, around Jackie Robinson, because my argument has always been is that, you know, um, while Rosa Parks is an important figure in history, mm-hmm. and I'm not trying to take away for anything that she or Dr. King obviously did uh, to further the civil rights movement, the catalyst that really got the equality discussion going 100%. was Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier. MLK Jr. said it himself. He said there is no Martin Luther King without Jackie Robinson. Jackie mm-hmm. sparked it all. And, and, and MLK carried the torch. I mean, Martin Luther King said it himself. He said there would have been no, no Freedom Riders. There would have been none of that without Jackie. Jackie's where it all begins. Uh, so uh, we're going off on a tangent here, but I'm, I know we both love history. So uh, have you ever heard the name Coldet uh, uh, Coven? No, I don't think so. Okay, so get this right okay so a similar so this was this was eight months earlier okay eight months before rosa parks happens kodak colvin is a black a black woman who has a similar incident yeah uh in montgomery uh refusing to ride uh refusing to go to the back of the bus yes and so the aclu the naacp uh the community riles riles around it and there's going to be this there's going to be this movement uh, and then they kind of get together. And unfortunately, uh, Miss Colvin was, you know, she was 15. She was also uh, pregnant out of wedlock. Uh, and so the people at the time getting together didn't think that she would be a good face for this movement. So they decided to put it on pause. And then eight months later, Rosa Parks happens. And during that time, a very popular local pastor by the name of dr martin luther king uh becomes very outspoken about you know uh, about jim crow and everything like that and uh he is selected at the time to be the leader of the of the of the of the boycotts the bus boycotts yep so the what i love about this is that about history because it's always the it's always the inches yeah or the things that are missed if the ACLU and the NAACP, if everyone goes eight months earlier and rallies behind Colvin, Dr. Martin Luther King is a pastor in Montgomery, Alabama, who's not famous, who's 93 years old today. Could probably still alive. Probably alive. Yeah. Those are those are real possibilities. That's and that's why I think we love history, is that one little 
one big, one medium-sized thing can totally throw history into a completely different direction. Um, even the Civil War, I mean, the South, um, you know, there was a while there, it looked like South was going to beat the North. But then right. the North rallies back and wins, and, and we know what happened. And uh, it's pretty incredible how all these things happen. I mean, and Martin Luther King then pulls in Abernathy and Shuttlesworth, um, Fred Shuttlesworth, who who for many years had an incredible church in Cincinnati. Those names tend to sometimes get lost in the fold as well. But there's all these great leaders um, that, uh, that that were incredible. And, and there's a great yeah. picture of Martin Luther King playing baseball in his backyard with his kids that I love. I love when people post that picture. Oh, man, it's fantastic. So good. Um, I think, uh, yeah, like I said, it's it's just really it's really fantastic to look back on some of those those hidden stories and stuff like the, the, the history that we didn't learn as kids, we yep. built, you know? Yep. Um, and that's something that I try to try to teach my, my son. He's starting to learn about this stuff. And um, we had it, you know, it was very interesting because it was Martin Luther King day and they had it off and I guess they were learning about it in school. So we had an interesting discussion about, about racism yeah. uh, and the yeah. color of skin. So it was, it was really interesting. So, um, but um, really kind of, um, diving out of um off on a tangent there miguel sorry about that we can move into tonight's major point of course which is always uh, sponsored by uh protocol cigars um tonight's major point is brought to you by the people cigar people a people who know everything about a lifetime of service protocol cigars is more than just pool parties and good times well maybe it is but behind the fun and motivation is a motivation for service a motivation for giving back from the original protocol blue to the latest release in the lawman series bass reeves protocol has always been about honor passion and yes the people it's what their life's work has been and always will be about power of the p protocol cigars so speaking about famous black people the bass reeves the first the first black lawman in this country uh the mm -hmm. protocol uh so celebrates with their uh their lawman series so i thought it was uh, a really really cool the, choice to theirs the two owners of that company um i run into quite a bit for whatever reason we just seem to end up at a lot of the same places and they are two yeah they're known for partying and having a good time but they are two gentlemen and um i love picking up their cigars yeah, it's they've got some they've got some really fantastic offerings. I'm a they big do. Themis fan. Um, I'm a big Themis fan. Um, love it in all shapes and sizes. Uh, and then the Protocol Blue has been fantastic. And this big one, the Gordo that they just came out with, I've actually really enjoyed. I find myself saying that more and more. It's really dis it's really disappointing. No, <laughs> man, listen. You're you 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 know. I always say you kind of go like this, man. I I always compare it to. To, to, to Mexican food. Sometimes you want a burrito, sometimes you want a taco. I mean, it's uh, whatever you're feeling at the time, brother. Um, I find myself hovering around 46, but the more I hang out with Luciano and, and, and I tend to smoke a lot of 50 and 52s now, um, but, but I do, I still love my 46s. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of a little bit larger games, this, uh, this Sublime uh, Serie E is doing really, it's just the size that you guys do so well. Thank you. Um, Thank you. And I mean, a lot of lens, like it's my favorite size in the four kicks in both the Maduro and the original. Mm -hmm. It's my favorite size of La Coliacion, uh, which was on my top 10 list, not this past year, but the previous year. Um, 
I mean, do you know what John's fascination, uh, John and Mike's uh, fascination with what, what with it is, or just it, it, they just thought it was a great size? That, so because I mean, it's, it's comparable to a Toro, I guess. But I'm John. John is a student of cigar history. It's a size that he would probably tell you that he doesn't smoke that often. And this is what I love about John. This is what I love about John. John will only make a cigar in a sublime if the blend is partial to that size. Not every blend is. But John smokes a cigar and like CHC tasted great from 50 to 54. And that was a size that John, that, that sublime, like if it's right, he'll release it. And that's about as big as we typically go. We have a couple 56s here, but 54 is really kind of where we top out most of the time. And, and I think the 54 is, I think, a happy medium from guys that like thinner ring gauges to guys that like giant ring gauges. I think 54 is a, is a good size. I used to think 50 was that, but I think 54 has really kind of become that. And, and, um, and that's what I love. But John won't just do it just because, hey, I need to sell more cigars in that size. If the blend speaks to that size, he will do it. And Luciano is the same way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's so funny to sit in meetings with Mike and John and Luciano and I'll say, what about this size? Or what about that size? And it isn't, hey, let's see what reports are on, on those cigars selling. It's to them, it's, well, how does the blend perform in that size? That's the first question. And, and that to me is a whole level of respect that I have for those guys. Well, before we dive into the year, the incredible of the year that you and your strategic partner had, um, speaking of unique sizes that have been popular through a couple of brands, you guys just announced that the Juarez shots are coming back. Yes. Uh, so that's, that's exciting. I mean, this, okay. So, I, oh God, I hope I get the history right. So the shots was originally done in the JD Howard reserve. Uh, Jericho Hill. Dang it. I knew it. No, that you were close. You were flipped, close. Flipped, right? Yeah, it was Jericho yep. Hill. Then, yep. okay. And then the J.D. Howard. I know. So, okay. I know where, obviously, I got confused. The J.D. Howard came out before Jericho Hill originally. But, okay. Gotcha. Okay. So, again, um, so, again, uh, I guess, I guess same principle, right? If it, if that, if the size works in that particular blend, y'all are going to do it. Um, but I, I thought, um, I, speaking of the J.D. Howard, I thought particularly the that size was phenomenal. And that's a blend that I think is gets, I don't know if overshadowed is the right word, but I, I mean, I love JD Howard reserves and I think they age phenomenally too. I think that is a very good cigar to age. I agree with you. It's something about that Brazilian wrapper that really, I think over time, just really, it's not the prettiest wrapper, but it has a ton of flavor, you know, and it just has great intensity in that cigar. Um, and, when it comes to the shot size, uh, Mike Condor, uh, who's John's business partner, the two owners of Crown Heads, Mike isn't as uh, visual as John is, uh, obviously out there in the world, but Mike's been in the business since 1980. Um, very well um, respected individual behind the scenes in the cigar industry, very active with uh, PCA and legislation. And Mike, that is his go-to cigar, is shots. So every, oh, okay. time, every time we've done the shots, four or five boxes go home with him and those are you know and and that is his size i mean you know he's a, he's a busy guy every every evening he likes to have one cocktail tends to be maybe a manhattan or something of that nature and that shots is absolutely perfect for him you know it gives you all the flavor all the things you love about juarez 
but in a smaller size. And for someone even like me, you know, listen, if I if I'm driving and I it's a two or three cigar drive, I mix up the sizes and I love having a little a little cigar, you know, um, in the CHC, we did the uh, Petite Edmundo, which is like a shotgun shell. Um, the shots are fantastic. And in, in Mil Diaz, we did the Magico. Um, there's something special and intense what comes with a shorter cigar um, and the shots. It's so funny. Sometimes when people go, well, I don't, I don't know if I smoke small cigars. I go, hey, it's 50 ring gauge. You know what I mean? And, and they go, oh, really? I didn't think, you know, a lot of people think small ring gauge, you think down in the forties and that, so that 50 will give you all the flavor gives you, you know, that same sensation of smoking, you know, a, a, a full cigar, but just in a shorter format. And mm. if, if you do it right, a small cigar is just incredible. And, and I don't know, again, you and I are history buffs and, and people that are watching this. Um, what I love is those small cigars. There's something about lighting one of those smaller, shorter cigars up. You almost feel like it could be the 1920s or the 1930s or the 1940s, you know, when smaller cigars kind of rolled. And it's just something kind of throwback about it that I love. Yeah, no, I, I really dig the size uh, just because, and I like the, the the 50 ring gauge in that smaller size because it's a little bit more cigar to hold on to. Because mm-hmm. I feel like when they get like, um, like petite Coronas and stuff like that, I just like, they're, they're really chasty and I really like them. Mm-hmm. but there's just almost, it's just almost just not enough. Yeah. And even, and the, the extra gauge, like a couple extra gauge sizes up in the shots, just make it for a really good, really good cigar. Um, so, I mean, what, I mean, but what a phenomenal year uh, you guys had um, Miguel. I mean, congratulations. Um, we're going to get into a lot of uh, your year today, but, um, um, but I mean, just congratulations on a phenomenal year that you guys put together. And uh, I know it's, I know it's a lot of hard work, you know, from the top, you know, with John and Mike uh, and, you know, your strategic partners with the Pichardo uh, uh, factory and uh, Luciano uh, Mireles over at Ace Prime and uh, your phenomenal sales staff who does a great job of being Thank an ambassador you. for not one, but two phenomenal brands. Right. So it's uh, it's it's no easy task. I know it's uh, putting this together for you. So congratulations on a on an amazing year. Um Let's start, let's start with kick things off with, I mean, this is, I guess, technically year three or year two full year of, we're going into year three of the strategic partnership, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Of, of, so Groundheads and Ace Prime. Um, This has been, I mean, this has been really a really stellar move. I I mean, for both of y'all, I mean, I think, um, I mean, let's start with let's start with the the collaboration that you guys put together for all of your TAA retailers, a and and we've said this oftentimes. I know that the TAA releases kind of are polarizing, mm-hmm. um, but Crowned Heads has always seemingly put together some put out the some of the best. You know, Tatuaje, Crowned Heads, LFD always seem to put out the, the top three every single time. Very consistent, very fantastic. Uh, and this year's Lost Angel was one of my favorite cigars I smoked all year. I mean, what a, what a unique and fantastic blend that was. Um, what, you know, the, the black mat, what kind of went into some of the creative juices within that too, the way the look, the blends, like talk a little bit about that if you can. Well, you know, John is a very creative guy. And one thing I can tell you about creative people are, they like to be creative. They like to do different things. They like to have 
you know, uh, create, they, they need an outlet, right? So we've done um, the Angels Anvil for year after year after year for TAA. And it's like you said, it's always been mentioned in the top three, top four every year. And you, you don't take that for granted because there's a lot of people that do them and there's, there's so many great ones out there, but the reception is always amazing. And, and we always take that to heart. Um, but I think John wanted to do something a little different. And, and the Lost Angel was something that um, he just it came to him and, and the black on black, which, you know, John takes a lot of inspiration from fashion and design. And there's something about that, um, you know, if you're a God hat, you see sometimes they have their logo, the same color as the hat. And it's hard to kind of see that logo, but it kind of it has this uniqueness to it. Right. And I love that about the black on black band that he did. And then the wrapper looked really good against the wrap. It looked like mm -hmm. a deep, dark, you know, Godiva chocolate bar. It just looked beautiful and it looked very kind of menacing, but it's such a, a, a boutique of flavors and bouquet of flavors and medium bodied and very roasty. And it turned out just absolutely incredible. And again, it all goes to John. And, you know, John's relationship with Ernie is so unique. They're very simpatico in that, in that sense. And he's created that same relationship with, uh, with um, Luciano and Iradio Pichardo. And so it just seems that everything they do just really hits. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so John being creative, choosing the blend, requesting certain tobaccos, choosing the right size, and then... It goes to the factory in Luciano with making sure that the blend is right and it's going to taste right, securing the right tobaccos, growing the right tobaccos, and then producing that cigar quality roll every single time. There's so much that goes into it. You know, I, I, that's one of the things I love talking to consumers about is, um, you know, you, you, you take it for granted in this world today that when you go buy an iPhone, that that iPhone is going to be perfect. You, when you go and order number five meal at, Chick-fil-A or Burger King that is going to come out the exact same way. Cigars are so difficult, right? Because there are no additives. We're not adding anything. It's strictly tobacco and it's blending the different hints of flavors that you get out of these tobaccos. And the consistency is the toughest thing that you do in this industry. And so when that happens, it's not by accident. It's a lot of work and a lot of, um, of, uh, of, of, specialty that goes into that. So I think cigar smokers, they tend to see the final product, but the, all the work that goes in the rollers, the tobacco sorters, the growers, the people that are hanging, hanging them in the curing barns, the people that are fermenting them in the, in the pilons. I mean, there's so much work that goes into it um, that when you get something like the lost angel and how well it turned out in the reception um, that, that really brings a lot of pride to the team and brings a lot of pride to guys like John Huber and, and, and our partners that we work with on the factory level. I can't remember what year it was um, where I only got one, where I only got one uh, Angel's Anvil mm -hmm. uh, TAA. And I can't remember what year it was. Uh, it might've been two years ago before the pandemic. So when the Lost Angel came out this year, like I went and uh, Brian McGee was doing an event at Michael's and, uh, I wasn't working it, but I, mean, I made my way over there. I just grabbed a box. I was like, I'm not missing out on this one. I don't even care. Like, so I bought an entire box sight unseen on it. Um, and Thank I, you. and I was not disappointed. I really love that cigar. It came out phenomenally. Um, so here's something that I've wanted to talk to you about Miguel, because you know, you're the, you're the, you're the head of sales. 
for crown heads, and this this might not be interesting to my audience, and I apologize, but it is a different question because this is so much different. A strategic alliance is so much different than um, than you saying, okay, guys, now we've got the Siri E, and you know it's this cigar, and you know it's this place, you know, smoke it, blah blah, and you know the it, you know the new product line. It's so much different. You got a whole new company, a whole new different you know different SKUs, and all this other stuff, but. It's not just that. And even though, like you, you mentioned about John and Luciano and Aradio being so simpatico, which is great, yeah. which is why it works. But you are talking about two philosophies. Yeah. How do you, how do you sell that to your team? And how does your team sell that in turn to the, the retailer and end consumer? Like, how, does, how did you guys go about that? This is something I've always wanted to talk to you about. No, yeah. So, you know, we're crown heads, crown heads, crown heads every day, all day, right? That's what we've done. Um, that's something that John and Mike built. And so we've been asked by many people to distribute their cigar and it just isn't right for us, right? Because what we're focusing on. When it came to Luciano, who's a friend of mine, and I brought him to the table to John and Mike. And first you taste the cigars, you, you know, and <clears throat> we're working on some cigars together and what you realize is the more and more you work together, John, Mike, Iradio, and Luciano, what, what you found was four guys that have really different philosophies working to get to the same end goal, quality, keeping the cigar culture alive and thriving and making sure it's alive for the next generation and doing it right, right? Not taking shortcuts, not taking the easy road, building one consumer at a time one that's how crown heads was built and when that happens then there's a discussion right maybe we should be doing more together what can we do what can we do more together well we can distribute their product their products new um, we could turn it on the people that we know um, we could work together making more cigars and once this kind of comes together then it's my job to bring the sales guys together and say hey it isn't just, and sometimes in the bigger companies, it's, hey, we're going to sell this cigar. These are the stats. Go sell it. There was a lot of coming together, a lot of Zooms, because we did this all under COVID. There were a lot of Zooms. Um, there's been a lot of spending time. Luciano's traveled with all the guys. You know, Luciano is the guy in the factory. He's also the face of Ace Prime. He spends a ton of time in Nicaragua, but it was very important for him to get out there and spend time with each sales guy and it's really up to then. It's up to hoping that the sales guy make that make sales guys make that same connection that we made, and blessed um, that all the sales guys love the whole team over there at Ace Prime, love the whole team at Tobacco Letter Pichardo, and we all work together. And it just feels like we've been doing this for twenty years, opposed to three going into our third year. And we did this all under, under COVID and we've seen Ace Prime just flourish out there. And it isn't always the same accounts. There's accounts that do better with Ace than they do with Crown, Crown Heads. There's brand shops that do better with Crown Heads than Ace Prime. And then there's accounts mm -hmm. that only carry Crown and some only carry Ace. It's, it's a very wide swap of um, retailers that we've met. At the end of the day, consumers really are what drives what people put what retailers want in their humidors and the response to crown heads over the last 10 years 
has been so overwhelmingly positive, I think a lot of people said, okay, they're not just going to bring on some willy nilly brand. They're going to bring someone that they, that they love respect, that there's some kind of philosophy that, that measures up with each other. And uh, luckily blessed all the things that you could say a lot of success and it just continues to grow and grow every month together and the consumer feedback has been overwhelmingly positive where they're saying, Hey man, I'm smoking, uh, you know, a Pichardo Classico, a Fiat Lux and a Mil Diaz and a CHC, you know, I mean, it's, it's been incredible. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, man, it's really about working with people, hopefully that you love, that you respect and have the same goal. Um, this is a business people sell, they make money, whatever, but there's a sense in all of us that my sales guys all the way to the ownership is that our job is to continue this industry and to build this industry up uh, and to make sure that this industry is alive for the next generation. How do you do that? You fight, you fight legislation, you fight for legislation that's going to be, be very positive to your industry, fight by making great product that consumers can enjoy with their friends and their family and, and supporting retailers with events and, and good products. And that's what makes the world go around in our industry. And at the end of the day, if someone can say, man, I love that Pichardo, or I love that Crown Heads, and I'm going to support that company with my, with my hard-earned dollars because I love their cigars, uh, then, we've, then we've succeeded in our goal. I, listen, I know it's really early in the history of this partnership, but you, one can't look at the, the early success that you guys have had together and not paying comparisons to like the Drew Estate Hoya de Nicaragua relationship. I mean, but even as successful as that partnership has been, mm-hmm. there's one missing thing in that partnership that you all have. Hmm. Hoya doesn't make any other cigars. That's true. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So, well, well, the, the comparison is obviously. It, I mean, I hope it would, one would find it flattering. But yeah, absolutely, well, brother, that, you get. I mean, you're talking Drew Estate, who has been a force in this industry, and Hoyde Monterey, Hoyde Nicaragua, which has been around, and that brand even before Dr. Quinta, you know, purchased it, it was that brand went through the Nicaraguan Revolution, survived, mm-hmm. continued to thrive always make great products. And I think Drew Estate has brought them notoriety to another level that maybe some people wouldn't have known. And I'd like to think that uh, that's a very flattering comparison. Um, I'd, I'd like to think that hopefully we're on that same, on that same trajectory and the same road because it's mm-hmm. really quality, 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 and consistency is the name of the game. And as you grow, that gets harder and harder to do. And I think we've managed it pretty damn well. And, um, you know, at the, you know, it's, it's really about experiences, right? Mm-hmm. And when you pick up um, a, a Drew product or you pick up a Hoyo product, you know what you're getting. And I, and I hope people feel the same way when they pick up a Crown Heads or they pick up an Ace Prime. They know they're getting a great product and they're getting people that make that product that are just good human, <clears throat> good human beings that are great for the industry. So I want to break up discussion about the PCA trade show into two parts. We're going to talk about this year's trade show specifically right now, but I want to talk about trade shows in the trade show in general from a, a historical perspective later on. So we're going to put a pin in this, but I, the, 
I mean, there was really a, I mean, you guys really took over the, the pre, the pre-show wavelength, in my opinion. I mean, you guys were well promoting. You had four stellar releases across the two companies. Um, you guys promoted them in- incredibly well. Um, and I thought there was this, 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 a lot, you guys had this, a lot of currency house money, if you will, kind of going into the trade show. Um, and I would say I, I, not only did you capitalize on it, I thought from my opinion and from where I sat and some of my colleagues in the media viewed it the same way, you, you perform it, you even outperformed expectation, which was, uh, which was really great. So how, how, Going into the trade show with all these announcements and having this dual booth and everything, what what did that look like for you all? And then did, did you did you guys feel the same? Yeah, so it was uh, it was very intense because you know we widened our booth to make sure we had room for both companies, but we were also retrofitting an old uh, our old booth, um, which which was going to be it, last year was the last year of that booth that we're being used, and in the future we're going to have a new booth, but. Um, so there was a lot of that to it of how is this going to go? How are we going to be in the same booth together? How is this going to work? Um, I think it worked out very, very well. Uh, both companies were well represented, um, 50-50 showing off their goods. We both had a core release. Um, and one thing was that Crown Heads has had a bunch of these shows under our belt, right? And we've done a lot of different releases through these shows. And Ace um, it was going it was interesting because their lines before may have been one size here, maybe two sizes there. This show they were releasing Fiat Lux, which was going to be a, really the first time where you saw them release a line traditionally for Vitolas. Um, there was a lot going into that, and and we had CHC, and then we each had a trade show exclusive because we're both big supporters of PCA. You know, from the Sergeant from Ace Prime and then Le Petitier from Crown Heads, two really night and day cigars, ring gauge, look, style, stories behind them. And and then, you know, doing the opening party uh, with our friends um, Espinosa, uh, it was it was it was incredible. I mean, you know, usually the big parties are gobbled up by the big companies. They put on a big show. Um, but we were able to take some of that spotlight and put it on uh, the three companies that did that. Eric had a phenomenal show. You know, I've got so many great friends over there, Jack Tarano, Eric and Hector and all the boys over there. Um, and then, you know, with Ace Prime and Crown Heads, it was just an incredible um, trade show. Right. And, and no one really knew how the show was going to go because the big guys had all pulled out. The show was going to be smaller, more condensed. We had our best. We had our best show ever. And. We had our best year ever, and and people really responded very well to that. And I think going into the show, um, it was a good feeling that there was so much light on those on on these companies because when you're when you're a mid sized cigar company, sometimes you can kind of get lost from the big guys. But we had the we had the spotlight, and I'd like to think that we capitalized on it, and people loved the opening party. It wasn't over the top. It was just a great social event. The cigars were on point. Everything seemed to go off with a hitch. The, my sales team had a great time. It was really special. And because we had not, you know, it had been so long since the trade show that we were we, we were all together, right? There was a whole year where it was mm-hmm. canceled. And it was this big kind of welcoming back out, get back out there. It, 
out of I've been in this business 20 years, and I will say that my first trade show and last year's trade show are probably two of the biggest memories I have uh, of my time in the industry. It was that much fun, man. I'm really glad you brought up the fact that you, uh, you all, uh, and then along with Eric and the whole great team over at Espinosa were the, the sponsors of the opening party. Cause like you said, this used to be, they used to be gobbled up by like STG typically for the last few years. And, and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's been one of the, those things and everything. So I thought it was really, I thought it was really cool that, that these, you know, smaller companies got to, got to kind of take the spotlight a little bit. And I, you know, for there, and there were certainly some, you know, some criticisms of that opening gala, but you know, not to be an apologist for you, Miguel, it wasn't, that wasn't on you guys. No, uh, look, look, it was very, it was kind of, uh, you know, it wasn't uh, the biggest, most planned out party and it wasn't going to be, you know, I worked for CAO many years and we would throw these gigantic parties and it was so funny. I remember one particular retailer came over to me and he's been in the business way longer than I have. And he said, you know what? I actually enjoyed it. It was a time where, you know, it wasn't music pumping like I was in a nightclub. I could actually talk with some guys. I could actually talk about That's some right. business. I, I could really socialize. I could have a cocktail in my hand, have a cigar and just talk and be welcomed back, you know, to the show. And it, it, to me, everything worked out the way. Man, there's always things you can do better. Sometimes there's things that are out of our control. It just happens, man. But I think as a whole, as an industry, we roll with the punches, and, and I think it turned out pretty damn good. No, absolutely. And you brought up Espinosa again, and I think that between, I guess, if we want to split up Ace Prime and Crown Heads, I think the three of you guys uh, had, are you know, arguably uh, the best show. Like, uh, you know, and well, and it was... So the fact that you guys got to lead things off, I thought that was that was really great. I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, man. And, and a lot of people came over. I know Jack had a lot of the same experiences I had. A lot of people came over and said, dude, I appreciate you guys sponsoring you know, the party. I know it's not cheap. I know it's it's a lot that goes into it. Um, and, you know, it was kind of cool to be able to step up and do that as a company uh, for the industry. Like I said, look, you know, I've been to parties where people are printing T-shirts there. You know, there's 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 shrimp cocktail and caviar. And then, you know, um, my old days, you know, we would have, uh, you know, um, Leonard Skinner, you know, playing the industry has changed. But ultimately, what it came down to was getting back together and bringing everyone back together. And that's what I think the good point of that party was, was just breaking bread with people, Mm -hmm. you know, shaking hands. There's, a you know, people forget they it's not just us they're selling cigars but there's a lot of retailers there's retailers that are from new york and they have friends that are in california and that's the one time of the year they get to see each other and they're in the same business but on different coasts and they were able to be at that party and shake hands and man i haven't seen you in a while what's going on yeah it was uh it was it was a good it was a good feeling man really good feeling oh absolutely so i I don't know if you remember this this kind of sidebar that we had when you were guesting back in april uh of last year on cigar coup primetime special edition we brought you on to talk about crown heads instead of baseball for once which was nice <laughs> uh and we had this interesting sidebar and i was like man let's can we just take a moment to reflect on the fact the names the cigar brand names and just how unique they are and how like you said john is this 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 old this uber creative um fountain and yep. 
Like I, I said, not it's not even just every word. It has a story behind the story, but even syllables have like have it. And it, it, everything from four kicks to Headley Grange, which has a whole transcendent meaning behind it. And then, um, you know, Luminosa and, you know, Jericho Hill. And I mean, like all these great names and everything. And we had this really great, we had this really great moment sharing about it. And even like Mil Diaz, you know, thousand days, like, it's just, it, yeah. like everything has a yeah. story and I love it. I, in, in, in an industry full of stories, like that, the names of your cigars have just kind of always stuck with me. So it was really interesting. We had that discussion and then like going up to the trade show, there's the cigar released as the Siri E. And I'm going to ask publicly for forgiveness, John, I had a, uh, to, to John Huber, I, I had a moment of doubt. I'm like, wait, we just had this great discussion and Siri E. <laughs> and then I saw, I saw the label and then I talked to John at the show and I was like, I get it. Yeah. I get it. And it, it's just, it's just like everything else that you guys put together. And, and I'm smoking it. I'm smoking it tonight. It was the cigar you picked for me. And, um, and I, I, I found, I find this cigar to be extremely, uh, this is probably the most casual setting that I've enjoyed the cigar in. I find this cigar very um, enjoyable in, in, in a pensive moment. Like I really like to, I've really enjoyed just sitting and smoking it alone, which I don't like to do too often. Mm-hmm. I like to more of, I'm like more of a social setting, but um, I just, I really, I really dig the blend. It's very unique. There's something about it that in the, about the midway point that I'm coming up on that is very reflective. Um, and I can't really describe it. Like I can't really describe why that happens, but it's something I really enjoy about this blend. And it's, it's really, it is, it is something, it is something very unique. Um, when, when this plan was laid out before you and you saw it for the first time and everything, what, what were some of your initial reactions? And then how did that ultimately translate over to the folks that you were talking about at the show? And, and, and then obviously since. Well, you know, it's, it's funny, uh, the red, black, and white, you could argue, argue that those are the Cincinnati Reds colors because over the years we've worn black jerseys and, and black has played an important part. So I love the colors when I saw them. <clears throat> um, I know John is inspired uh, by many things. I mean, not just hats, mm. cigars. It could be really anything. I mean, the watches he wears, the jewelry he wears, tattoos that he gets. Right. And there's always a meaning. And I always, and I always say what I love about Crown Heads is that we're not banging you over the head with the meaning of a cigar. The meaning is there and there's depth to it. If you want to know it, you can dive into it, right? Mm-hmm. So when you, when you see the CHC Serie on the shelf, the colors are very vibrant. The gold crown, the logo, the CHC is very intricate, interlocking letters, almost a throwback to the days where, you know, um, uh, fonts were a big deal you know when uh you know 100 years ago um, we'll just look at baseball logos today they yep. still do the interlocking the new york Absolutely. yankees yep which yep. for a bulk of my childhood i never understood how i never understood that it was an n and a y yeah oh, really for like the longest time i was like i don't <laughs> get it i was like it's these lines and uh, st louis i mean st louis, louis, louis does it yep. too yeah yep. and that's uh, the mets do it as well i I, I um, so there's a there's a look to it, right? And then the gold coins on the side, and and you know the gold coins are very a traditional thing in the in the cigar history. 
Um, it just looks really beautiful. And that dark wrapper has this beautiful, nice oily dark wrapper. It kind of speaks to you if, if you like that shade of color. It just really pops, right? And the E, what is E? I mean, e, e could mean anything, but eruption is what E stands for. Right. And when you smoke, you want an eruption of flavor on your palate. Obviously, the inspiration comes from John working on different blends and, and picking different cigars and different tobacco. And he's listening to music all the time. It could be Johnny Cash. It could be, um, you know, anybody, Led Zeppelin. It could be um, anyone that he's feeling at the time. And, and he happened to be listening to a particular song called Eruption. Um, and so that song sonically inspired him um, as he's smoking the cigar, the cutting, the lighting, the draw, the blowing out of the smoke and the whole ritual uh, that we do. And as you as you and I have smoked for so many years, sometimes we go through the ritual and don't even think about it. But it's really a ritual getting the cutter or pinching the cap, however you choose, toasting the foot, the whole thing, taking the cellophane off. Um, there's a ritual to it. And I and I think. Mm -hmm the eruption, the cigar, that's really what kind of spoke to John. And so as John's working on his blend, he felt like it was an eruption of flavor. And obviously he's listening to, to that particular song. And uh, I would tell people to go on YouTube or wherever, play that song and just, just listen to it and envision the cutting, the toasting, the blowing out of the smoke. I mean, I, it's, it's beyond my, as far as an artistic way, right? I, it's from even Mike Condor myself, we always like explain to it, John, explain to it how, you know, because we're not those kind of people we're, we're more numbers and you know, that's kind of how we, we look at life. And so when I smoke a Siri E and when I meet consumers and I talk to them about Siri E, they get it, you know, they, they, mm -hmm. they, 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 they'll say, listen, probably 50% of the time I'm smoking, I'm putting something on the radio or I'm putting on my iTunes or whatever right. music, music and cigars pair up so much that it, it makes sense, right? And I always say, we never hit you over the head with it, right? So Jericho Hill isn't called Johnny Cash. You know, that's right. not, it could be that literal. And it's not, it's Jericho Hill. Sounds like a great name. You could smoke it and never understand a backstory, but appreciate the name and the logo. But if you want to dive deep into it and understand why it's called Jericho, where those, where that name right. comes from, the song, and then War Is, how War Is pairs up with Jericho Hill, um, it's all there. We, John likes to call it the Da Vinci Code. If you want to get all Da Vinci Code, we love doing that with consumers. Um, but if not, you can look at this, especially CHC Series. You can look it on the shelf and just see a sexy-looking cigar. But, but beyond being sexy, it's got to have depth. It's got to have flavor. It's got to have good quality. But I also think a story means so much to a cigar. And mm -hmm. either it could be your family's heritage it could be, there could be so many things behind it. And so that's, that's kind of CHC Serie E, four different Vitolas. The Petit Edmundo I love, um, it's just gorgeous, man. I, I, I love the blend. And so far it's been very, very well received across the board. And then, and then speaking of that, I mean, also Luciano with Fiat Lux. It's Latin. A lot of people right. don't, Fiat Lux, let there be light. Well, Luciano is a, a very devout Christian. Obviously, let there be light comes from the Bible. Um, he's a Mason. There's all these kind of things that tie back to it. It's a great name. It's very sexy, very contemporary style packaging and look. But again, there's a story behind it, and it's the guy behind it is, is really the story. So no matter which ones you look at, all of us put a lot of work and time into it. And I always say it's up to the consumer. If they want to dive deep into it, we're more than happy to do that with you. 
Yeah, I love it. And speaking of building on something, uh, so the uh, PCA exclusive that you guys released was a second cigar, uh, which was the uh, uh, the Le Petitier. Yeah. Did I say it right? Yeah, Le Petitier. Uh, yeah, you can say it with a you can say it with a French accent. So, um, which is kind of uh, in the I guess the family that uh, I guess the family that you can bunch it into is that the La Creme. Yep. Yep. Um, and that cigar, um, you know, follows a, a unique uh, style that you guys did with the hearkening back to the state exclusives. So Buckeye Land, the red band on the foot, the yellow rose, the yellow band on the foot, the Tennessee uh, Waltz, the orange band on the foot. I can't remember if the WW had a band, but Los Moreas originally had just the blue band. And then you guys put the the uh, the logo on it. Um and so now that it's it, it's a kind of a auburn brown uh, chocolate chocolate cho- chocolate uh, uh, footband to it, uh, which you would think would wouldn't look well against the cigar wrapper, but it does. It actually kind of pops in a, in a very unique way. And um, I, agree. I agree. And I've only I've only smoked a couple of these, um, and I think it builds on the story of La Carême very well very well indeed um what was the decision uh do you do you have any uh knowledge of what the decision was to make that a pca exclusive rather than the cre was it because of the tobacco that was available what what kind of went into that decision so i think john's always working on a lot of different blends and the patissier was obviously a blend that john had been working on for a while and you know sometimes it comes down to time constraints right you have this you go Man, you know, it's a broadleaf wrapper. Broadleaf is very tough to get. There's no way we can release that as a regular production. Lake Karem is broadleaf, and it is a pain to get Lake Karem. Lake Karem disappeared off the market for about a year and a half. Right. And I've, sa- I've said this in other interviews that Lake Karem, um, people came to us and said, hey, there's Nicaraguan broadleaf, or we can get broadleaf grown in Pennsylvania. And John and Mike said, no, we would rather have it not on the market than to change the wrapper on the cigar it's got to stay true to what it was massive respect for that and um, absolutely and so you know uh luciano said hey i've got some broad leaf and as of today back then um there's no way we have enough to do a regular production right maybe maybe eight years ago we could have but not at this point and so john just loved the blend so much he wanted to do a size that was difficult to do because with that the dark tobaccos that are being used in that cigar, the broad leaf and the thin ring gauge, things that people may, may not understand, but it's very wet and it takes much longer to dry in the aging room than uh, a Mil Diaz, for an example. And so it's very difficult to do that size with that particular blend. And Lake Carême has always been very close to, to our hearts. It's a cigar that all of us love. When we did the original Bellicoso Fino limited edition size, it blew up. It -hmm. took that brand to a whole nother level. Um, And Bellicoso Fino to this day is sought after size in that line. Um, And so, you know, Lake Carême, for those out there who may not know, uh, is named after a a very famous French chef who really created all the mother sauces of French cooking, haute cuisine, um, souffles. I mean, you know, Marie Le Carême, he was, uh, he was a, a revolutionary in the food world. Right. Yeah. And, 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 in the culinary world. And so the brand is really named after him. And so Le Petitier means the baker. 
And, and so it builds on that same story, on that same um, heritage. Uh, it's a French name. And in the, if you look at the cigar, it has a very dark cho- chocolatey look. The footband has a nice brown. And, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a brown guy. I know I have all black on right now, but I love, <laughs> I mean, my, my two of my watches that I adore have brown dials. I wear brown coats, brown shoes, brown leather shoes. I'm, that's just my color. So I fell in love with it the first time I saw it. It was very difficult to produce. Um, we did a very limited run of them, and they were exclusive to people who came to PCA to order them. And it was an overwhelmingly successful uh, blend. Um, I don't know what John has plans for future of that brand or that blend, but um, I think it would be very successful. Um, and I would love to smoke it in other Vitolas. That was very much a John project. I mean, a lot of times I get to smoke these cigars as they're coming through different production, but that was one that was really him on him doing it. And he, um, I think he nailed it with that cigar and the response has been incredible, you know, and, and we're big PCA supporters. So we wanted to do something, right. you know, at, at first we thought maybe we'll just do a size of CHC. Maybe we'll just do a Vitola. And I think that was the direction. And then John, you know, one day said, no, man, we're going to do something special. We really need to do something special for PCA. And it came out better than I, I could have even imagined. And at the same time, Luciano um, has a very good friend named Brian Acevedo. Um, Brian is a, a military veteran. Um, he works in Chicago in law enforcement. He's a wonderful guy. I've got to spend much, a lot of time with him. And then he got to come to the show where he got to spend time with the sales guys. I've known Brian for a few years. And, um, and the, the, the sergeant was really an honor to people like him. I mean, he doesn't like the, the light on him, but it was about people who like him, who, who really give of themselves, who really think of others' lives and safety before their own, who put their lives on the line, either police, firemen, whatever it is, military. And it was a cigar that Luciano felt very, very strongly about. And a lot of those military guys, they like a big, hefty ring gauge. They like a nice, full body, nice, robust cigar. And obviously the packaging and the blend re- resembled that. And mm-hmm. um, that I will tell you, because we don't sell ring gauges that big, I was wondering how our, our consumers or our retail partners, how they're going to respond to it and blew me away the success of that cigar. I don't know what the future is of that brand or blend either, but I think both of those cigars could live on as regular production. They're just both sexy, beautiful, incredible blends. And it's so funny. You know, I, I talked to Luciano and Luciano says, bro, this blend works in that size. And when he sent it to me, I said, listen, you know, I don't smoke big ring gauge. He goes, just do me a favor. And he sent it to me. And I understood. I understood why the blend needed to be that Vitola, that length. And, um, you know, Bear, as we, as we, as I've been on your show a bunch of times, I've been on a lot of different shows. I still, there are still times where I walk into my office at my house and I say to myself, I'm so damn lucky to know guys like you, know guys like Coop, know guys like Aaron, and know guys like John and Mike and Luciano and Iradio. They're so good at what they do. My job is sales. My job is, is, is to get the story out there and for people to try. And I consider myself damn lucky to be in this business and to represent such great product and know such great people, man. Um, it's really incredible. Yeah, this is actually your uh, your fifth appearance on the show. 
So you're, you're uh, the third and third most frequent, uh, third most frequent guest. At well, this point. when, when do we get the jackets? Do we get like a, like, do we get like a, you know, El Oso Fumar shirt I, I, or jacket you, or something? No, you know? Yeah. We need, yeah. I need to work that out. I think I yeah, you, you're, you're, you'll, you get the first run of whatever it is. I know yeah. that much. It's so funny because I like when uh, I'm not a big TV guy, but Growing up, I saw a lot of Saturday Night Live, and once in a while, I'll catch one. And I love when they have a guy hosting or a woman hosting that's hosted it five or six times, and they always joke about, you know what I mean? Oh, you're a five-timer. You're a six-timer, and they'll pretend like they have a lounge just for the five-timers. Or And uh, I, I always appreciate it. You know, being on your show means a lot to me, man. Um, it's uh, – I, I never take it – I never take it lightly. So when you call and say, hey, would you like to be on? It, to me, it's a pleasure, brother. It's always it's always a pleasure as well, Miguel. I really appreciate this. Um, and this conversation has been fantastic. Like I said, I I really think uh, I really think y'all had a banner year. Um, was really really excited about what you guys put together and and the show just and you kind of let you kind of led us into the discussion about the sergeant, which um, was pr- uh, was probably my favorite cigar of the show. Mm. You know, to be honest, um, it was. Um, I was blown away by it. I thought it was phenomenal. Like you said, I'm not a big gauge guy either. And, and he, uh, Luciano almost had the same kind of discussion with me. That sounded like he had with you. He's like, I try it. And, and I was like, this is awesome. And it's, yeah, I hope, I hope y'all have a future with that to go back to the locker room for just two seconds. I will say this for anyone else listening. If you guys want to have the best crown head cigar of your entire life, buy the locker room Robusto, age it for six months. Don't touch it, smoke it. It'll be, the, it'll change your life. You, you guys did a review on age. Like yeah. you and Coop. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. We did that. Yeah. And the six months was the best crown head cigar I've ever smoked. And that's saying something. Cause you guys know, I'm, you know, I'm a fan of your Yeah, stuff. Absolutely. You know, man. So absolutely. it was so, so good. Uh, I love, so good. I, I love, uh, you know, a cigar with, uh, it could, it could have six months, eight months, a year. Um, it's amazing what age does to tobacco. You know what I mean? Um, and I think it's kind of fun, hobby-wise, you know, to, to, to buy a box and to, and to sit on them and smoke them. I, you know, I yeah. do all my travels. I, I've, met, I've met a lot of young guys over the years who they're like, dude, I'm never going to buy a box. I go in and I buy 20 cigars. I'm never going to buy a box of the same thing. And then I come back to that city year after year, and next thing you know, they're buying a box. And it always <laughs> comes down it always comes down to the aging. They'll say, you know what, man, I went to a friend's house. I met in a cigar, you know, he's a cigar guy and he gave me a box that he bought eight months ago. He gave me a cigar out of it and I was blown away by it. And he, and they, they all, they all end up in the same place. They go, I get it now. I I get why people buy boxes and then they age them and they sit on them. Um, To me, I, at one time I had a hell of a cigar collection bear at one time. Um, and then I always say Carlito Fuente totally screwed me up because I was at an event once many, many years ago, and he talked about, you know, cigars are meant to be smoked. So don't let them just sit around forever. Yeah. You may age them for a little bit, but they're meant to be smoked. So I wind up taking it to heart. And I remember all my expensive rare shit I've, I've given out and smoked with people. There is something special to have someone over your house and say, hey, here's a cigar. It's been in my, in my humidor for six months or six years. Um, it, it's it's there's something special about that you know oh absolutely uh 
Jay Davis is in the chat and he's like, there's no greater joy than opening a full box you purchased and cracking it open. I a hundred percent agree with that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's so good. I, I know I've heard Carlito say that Pete Johnson's another one that's gotten on me too about, I'm like, he's like, Hey, have you smoked this yet? And I'm like, actually, I'm like, yeah, I'm holding it back. He's like, why? I'm like, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just, um, it's just, I've been a big aging nerd ever yeah. for as long as I can remember. I, yeah. I just love enjoying the journey of the cigar that it takes and, and seeing what it does, you know, yeah. over time, you know, I just really love it. It's that's part of what's fun for me. And that's kind of the way I chalk it up to, to people like Pete and Carlito that say that and everything. I do smoke. I do smoke a lot more, more deliberately. Like there, there were times before I had come to those conversations with those gentlemen that were like, I'd be like, Oh no, I'll hold off a little bit longer. Oh, I'll hold off a little bit longer. Now I'm just like, you know what? I go Flip through it. it and, yeah. yeah. I go through it and, and, and smoke them when I, you know, when I want to, and when they're meant to be in, in my, uh, in my rotation. So, um, so again, we, uh, you mentioned it briefly, but uh, you know, it's it the cigar that I think has been really well, really well received. In fact, it got a, it did get a number one ranking, um, you know, in one of the many lists that were out there this year, but, uh, but it's gone on a lot of lists and, you know, the consensus is coming up in a couple of days and it's got a, probably a pretty good shot of making it uh, pretty high. I would say because of how well it's performed the Fiat Lux, uh, which was uh, like you said, was um, put together by Luciano and uh, um, what a, what a delicate, very nuanced, blend that is and uh completely different than i would say than the rest of his portfolio and frankly the rest of y'all's uh, yeah yep um a very very unique offering so i mean that was i'm sure that was something that took you guys off guard when you first had the opportunity to to smoke it huh yeah you know it's funny he sent it to me over like an eight month period of different blend variations of it you know and uh, Luciano is very much like John, where it's like they're looking for that perfection. They're looking for that perfection. I'm smoking a couple of blends. I go, yeah, I could see how you want to change this. And then it becomes, dude, you don't need to do anything else. This blend is spot on. And it's like, no, 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 no. I got to do something. From where it started to where it ended, very different cigar. And I will tell you, I was when when we came to the Ace Prime stuff, I was smoking a lot of the Traveler, which was limited edition. And then I mm. really got into the Sumatra Classico. Yes. Big, big time. And Made my top like, 10 this year. Mm -hmm. It's like all I was smoking of, of Ace Prime. So I, I, I love that Sumatra. When Fiat came out at the show, obviously I had seen it. I had smoked all the variations. That last one I had smoked, but hadn't smoked it after I had time to sit in an aging room before it was packed. Blown away. Absolutely blown away. But what I always say speaks to that blend is our rep, Wes Thornton. Now, Wes, Cigar Wes on, uh, on Instagram, if you guys follow him, he's a great guy. Wes lives in Nashville. He's our longest tenured employee. Um, he has DC, the whole Bible Belt. He is a guy who smokes everything, but his go-to is four kicks. The guy smokes four kicks like people chew gum. I mean, that is his blend. That is his blend. And he chain smokes Fiat Lux along with four kicks now. And there's, I hate, I hate sometimes talking flavor notes always, but 
there's almost like a lemon zest, lemon peel that I get from Fiat Lux, like a citrus aspect to it that is so refreshing on the palate to where I can smoke that cigar down to the nub, put it down and feel totally fine about picking another one up and lighting it. It just has that welcoming kind of gives you all the flavors, covers your palate, gives you all these crazy great flavors, but there, there, there's, there's enough body to where you're smoking, mm -hmm. you know, really good tobacco, but there isn't too much strength where it overpowers anything. It really pairs very well with a lot of food and a lot of different drinks. I think it's a very cross the board, great cigar and guys that are really, you know, Samanier-ish about their drinks or their food or whatever tend to really gravitate towards that blend. And I'll tell you, there, there's, there's a part of me that feels there's probably more people that have been introduced through Ace, through Fiat Lux than any of the previous blends just because of distribution. And I don't think there's a better cigar you can have to introduce to somebody for a brand uh, that is new to somebody than Fiat Lux. And um, it is absolutely just a great, a great cigar, very classy cigar. Um, and, and I think in all the four sizes it's made in, it performs incredibly well. Absolutely. I, what I would encourage people to do with Fiat Lux is kind of the same thing I've suggested with the Alec and Bradley Kintsugi, which, was, uh, which appeared on my top 10 list as well. Smoke on a clean palate, smoke two of them back to back. And like you were kind of saying a second ago, Miguel, about the uh, Fiat Lux, is those notes that we talked about that are very delicate and nuanced. Yep. You get them, you get them more on the second cigar, and you really get a, I think, a really phenomenal performing experience by smoking kind of two back to back because you get you get a lot of the stuff. It's kind of like watching the movie the second time. Yep. You yep. get a lot of stuff that you, you get a lot of stuff you didn't get the first time, which was really really terrific. So. So before we go into our fun segments for the night, Miguel, there's one, um, I guess, bone I have to pick with you all guys about something uh, this year. Um, it's a good bone, but it's still a bone to pick. Uh, Y'all have got to figure out how to get Mother Church as a regular production item. That I'm going to tell you this, Miguel, that was the best cigar that I smoked in 2021. Well, I'll let John know you said that because that was um, that was a product that we made exclusively for JR to celebrate their 50th anniversary. Right. And it's so funny, man. I, I, I again, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I know I work with John. I've known John a long time and. Um, Mother Church. Cool name. Right. You think of maybe yeah. church, you think of Churchill, you think maybe mothers, a cigar shop in New York called Mothers. Everyone loves their mother. Right. And, and just a great name. Sounds really nice. But if you know what Mother Church is in Nashville, it screams Nashville, Tennessee. And the blend turned out absolutely perfect on how John wanted to come out. And the JR guys, everyone over there said, bro, that was that was absolutely outstanding. I, look, I agree with you, man. I don't get to make those decisions, but that blend, I think, deserves to be out there some way, somehow. Uh, John, if you're listening, we got to make this. We got to make that happen, buddy. It <laughs> yeah. is. It is. It just had the total package. The, the box, beautiful color, the, the logos. 
it was just there, there was a there was a, a uniqueness, a simplicity, and a, and a and depth to it that is just beautiful, man. And and uh, it made some ratings out there, man. It made some yeah. people's top ratings, and that's hard to do when you make an exclusive cigar uh, for an online retailer. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. It didn't really... qualify for my top ten because it was a limited edition, but it was yeah, it yeah. was the top honorable mention. It was the like I said, it was the best cigar I smoked in 2021. I I I absolutely loved it it was um it was incredible it was absolutely incredible um and yeah like you said the story but again go back to the naming right the naming convention it's just a you know wonderful story behind it and i think you encaptured or you all encaptured the the spirit of anyone that you could take like you said you could take all those metaphors and you could take it so many different ways and it was it was just wonderful and it's a churchill which is you know a size that i i adore that frankly just isn't it doesn't do well now it's just it's yep. it's it's dropped in popularity um people wanting to smoke you know the toro gordos robustos it's keeping to be like the top three sizes um and but i i absolutely love i love the churchill it's it's just one of those things uh, god that's phenomenal i love more traditional size churchills the 47 and 48s and, mm-hmm. and john does as well um i think churchills have kind of lost their way Early '90s, I think, was the, the 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 kind of the swan song for that size. Um, it's definitely taken a backseat to to many other vitolas that have become more popular. I mean, the Toro, the Robusto, and then the 660s have all passed up Churchill. And Churchill's such a a great size, a traditional size, <clears throat> but in that product, in that project, in that instance, it was the perfect size for that cigar, for that blend, and for that project. Uh, again, hats off to John for that, man. Yeah. Well, tell John when he figures it out and you guys have the national release party to make it national. Uh, just go ahead and put me down for the box. I'm good to go. I'm so, good to go. I like it. I like so, it. <laughs> Thank you. Good. Um, so that leads us into kind of our, our fun segments for the, the night, uh, which are always some of my fun, uh, favorite times here on the show. And that, of course, uh, will we lead things off with our one must go segment which is always brought to you by United Cigars, uh, featuring La Giana Havana, distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Garofalo, and the highly acclaimed Atabay and Byron lines. Smoke one today and start living united. Um, so speaking of names, um, Miguel, I, I absolutely, and listen, I, I'm a Boston Red Sox fan, so the name Fenway, Park is something of sort of Wrigley Field. These are all like really great <clears throat> names that have kind of been part of the storied past of the legacy of baseball in this country. And we were talking about the history of stuff. The names of Cincinnati's stadiums over the years are just fucking phenomenal. I mean, the, the Great American Ballpark right now. I mean, <clears throat> Great American Ballpark. How braggadocious is that? And it's perfect. Yeah, I just, this is the God's honest truth. I was just having a conversation uh, with a friend who likes baseball, but isn't into it as much as I am. And uh, we were talking about different names of ballparks and how some of them have just really become kind of ridiculous. Um, And I said, you know, when you hear Cincinnati's Great American Ballpark, you may not realize this, but it's actually an insurance company, Great American Insurance Company, but they themselves decided not to add the name insurance to the name. They wanted just Great American Ballpark. And the great insurance company, uh, big, big, huge um, skyscraper for Cincinnati standards, overlooks the ballpark. 
what a great name. It's such a yeah. great just – and then, I mean, even Crosley Field, Riverfront right. Stadium, uh, which I – one of the great ones is Palace of the Fans. That's what I was going to say. Go back to the 1902 to 1911, I mean, yeah, the Palace, Palace of the Fans. Palace of the Fans. I mean, you know – they do some good things, man. They, they, they've got some good, they've got some good names there, brother. Palace of the mm-hmm. fans. What a great name. Uh, there was rumblings when uh, they were getting rid of um, a riverfront stadium by then it had been sold to like synergy or whatever, but right, right. you know, Hey, are they going to bring back the name palace of the fans? But in this corporate world we live in, no, but I think great American ballpark sounds damn good. Oh, uh, they nailed yeah, it, man. Yeah. They nailed I, it. I agree with you. And what a great decision by the folks over at Great American Insurance. That's fantastic. I, um, you learn something new every day. I didn't realize that. Um, but yeah, so this was actually something that I, so I, I, I'm not a big gamer, but I, I play a lot of sports video games and I still play to this day. I mean, this, this game's uh, over 15 years old. I still play the 2005 version of MVP baseball. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. Um, and so one of the cool things about that is that you can play in not only any stadium, uh, in the league at the time, you can also play in minor league ballparks, yep. but also historic fields like polo grounds, which is just awesome for me, um, that huge deep center and everything. And, but the only team, the only team in that game to have every single stadium dating back to the century, obviously there were more stadiums before this because the, you know, Cincinnati Reds have been around since 1869 um professionally but they have the palace of the fans that you can play in they have the crossley field that's great and you can play in riverfront yeah so so again this is one must go and i know this is this is selfie's choice for oh wow so here we go (laughs) okay we're not we're the great american ballpark is out because that's the current stadium so go back let's go back so one's got to go the palace of the fans crossley field or Riverfront Stadium, which uh, you spent your youth in. So, so, so I won't uh, answer for you. Palace of the Fans, um, the old wooden ballparks. Uh, if you Google it, people, maybe tomorrow on your lunch break, Google Palace of the Fans. I mean, it was pretty cool looking uh, for early 1900s. Um, cannot get rid of, of that. Crosley Field, actually, before it was Crosley Field, it was Redland Fields. Uh, it was called Redland Fields, but then the team was purchased by the Crosleys and they changed it to Crosley Field. And Crosley is such a great name because there were Crosley cars. There were Crosley radios. Crosley has maybe the name today isn't well known, but when you're talking about from the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, people had Crosley radios and Crosley cars and all these kind of. Oh, there you go. There Palace you go. The fans right there. Yeah. Look at the annoy that is so. I mean, just look at the uniqueness. You're talking 19 early 19th century, yeah. Turn of the century, yeah. 1902. That was all wood, they were dangerous as heck because they could go up in flames. That's when you could smoke at the ballpark, cigarettes and cigars. Um, what I mean, just look at that. That's 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 gorgeous, man. American flag at the top there, beautiful, yeah, unbelievable, right? So um, Crosley has so much more deeper meaning than just the name of the ballpark. They, they, they ushered in a, a, a great history of Cincinnati uh, ownership of the Cincinnati Reds. Um, but if you get a chance, you guys look up of Crosley. Crosley had cars. They had everything. They had radios, everything. 
Here's Crosley. Um, Here's Crosley Field. There's Crosley. They were very famous because of their 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 uh, scoreboard. Their score mm. their scoreboard had Longines, which is a great Swiss watch company. Longines was the clock sponsor back then, and that was in the middle of downtown Cincinnati, that ballpark, which was crazy. Mm. Uh, and that's where the uh, big red machine started coming together at the end of Crosley Field's uh, existence into. Um, the uh, Riverfront Stadium. Now, I'm going to have to do away with Riverfront Stadium, even though that was my childhood. Those are my memories. The smells, I can still smell the ballpark. Um, it was just, it was a time where ballparks were cookie cutter, multi-use. The name Riverfront Stadium is great because it, it references the, the Ohio River, but there was literally no sexiness there were there was nothing in that ballpark that screamed um this is going to live on forever what was great about that period was the quality of players the reds had at that time Mm -hmm. riverfront stadium i mean you're talking you're talking the big red machine you're talking all the way to the 90s the 90 world series team there's so much memory. There's so much history. I learned baseball sitting in those in those seats all the way at the nosebleed at the very, very top where you could see the bats at night swinging around eating all the little bugs that were attracted by the lights. But there was, that ballpark, there was nothing, nothing memorable about that ballpark as far as itself. And um, I think if you, if, um, if you look up what the Pirates played in at the same time, you couldn't even tell the two ballparks apart. Right. But I, I will say that I would have to uh, get a, get rid of that one just because as far as memories go, um, as far as historic, it has no real historic importance. The play on the field is really uh, what we think about, you know, um, really incredible. Uh, but that's what I would have to do. Uh, and I get to talk to over the years since I've been a fan my whole life, I get to talk to some old timers who spend time at Crosley Field and they tell me, about the cigars they used to smoke watching games and watching a young Pete Rose and a young Johnny Bench and a young Tony Perez. I mean, God's sake, you, uh, you don't get better than that. If you love baseball, good Lord, does that Crosley Field had it all, man. That picture of Riverfront uh, is from an article that was uh, uh, published in the Cincinnati Inquirer of, uh, I, I forgot who wrote it, but it was about the uh, how the launch of Riverfront Stadium 50 years ago basically ushered in the greatest era of Cincinnati sports history because of the big red machine and yep. during the 70s and then it like kind of culminated with the, you know, the 1990 World's the Yeah. Did you call it an improbable run? I think it was an improbable oh, run. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Nobody, the only people that thought the 90 Reds were going to win the World Series were guys like me that were fans and every year we think we're going to win the World Series, right? We're so blinded by our love. Um they went wire to wire. The first half of the season, they performed very good. The second half was really not that impressive. To go to the, the postseason, win, and then go to the World Series, beat a juggernaut, not only beat them, but sweep the Oakland A's. It was improbable. It was, it was crazy. And, and the great Marty Brenneman, who's retired now, who's the voice of baseball in my mind, um, Marty was around for the big red machine, not just the two world series. They won. They also lost a couple in the seventies as well. They were so powerful. Yeah. Um, he said that 1990 team was the best team to be around and the most fun he'd ever been around in a baseball team. Oh wow! So, uh, it was great, but the ballpark sucked. 
it sucked. I mean, it, from the bathrooms to watching a game, it was not the most fan-friendly. And also the Bengals, with the exception of this year, the Bengals played in that ball in that ballpark, um, and they went to two World Series and uh, two uh, Super Bowls in the eighties. One under Kenny Anderson and one under uh, Boomer Sison. That was the, the it was a great time uh, to be a, a a sports fan in Cincinnati in the seventies and eighties, leading up to the nineties. I mean, it was just impeccable. I mean, you felt like every year your team had a chance to do something. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. And and just great memories you're bringing back, brother. I mean, you know, I literally remember, you know, holding my mom's hand, you know, when she was towered over me. Now I tower over her, you know, dragging me up the big round, you know, ramp to get to our seats and getting a hot dog and a chili dog. And man, it's just, man, incredible. And what, I mean, yeah, I thought this would be fun. So, I, yeah, I saw this. I, I got this idea because I saw this post from uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame and they posted some pictures of some historic fields. And I was like, and I started thinking about Cincinnati. And I was like, man, there just been so many great fields over the years. It's just it's just great. It's just absolutely phenomenal. So but I, 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 I do believe, um, you know, Wrigley Field and, 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 <sighs> God, Fenway, uh, old Yankee Stadium, like some of those ballparks of such historic importance of not just the baseball, but to architecture, just the history. Um, and people forget Wrigley Field was not built for the Cubs. You know, it was built, it was built for a different team at that point. So the, the Cubs moved in like two or three years after it was built. That ballpark's been around longer than the team's been uh, playing. And um, we may not have that one historic ballpark but we've had some great ones through the years and i'm glad you brought up palace of the fans now me as a as a huge reds fan i'm a member of the reds hall of fame and museum which is the greatest um baseball hall of fame museum outside of cooperstown um it's unbelievable you get to cincinnati you got to see it um this year as members we pay like a fee and we get in and all that kind of stuff they're giving us as gifts uh replicas of palace of the fans uh, Crosley, Riverfront, and Great American Ballpark. So I'll have little replicas in my office uh, of all the great ballparks. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, yeah, I I could talk stadiums forever. I love them. I just think it's 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 there's there's part of it. I mean, that's why when they uh, they built the new uh, Globe Life Park here in Texas, yep, like, yep, ballpark in Arlington was a cathedral man it was gorgeous it was yeah. and there wasn't a bad seat in that house and everyone always talked about the texas heat in the summer and i'm like i didn't care I yeah didn't care um i loved it and it was so it was st- it's still very sad to me that that they uh that they went to a new stadium and i was like but it's still there the ballpark's still there it's actually right next door to it they're using it like as a music venue and things like that so hmm. um so um Wanted to uh, wanted to go into our next thing here. Of course, that was our one must go. As always, it's brought to you by United Cigars, uh, makers of the La Giana Havana, distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Garofalo, and the highly acclaimed Atabay and Byron lines. So a smoke one today and start living united. So um, as uh, as become one of our, our, our staple uh, segments here on Ellis Fumar takes, and it's certainly is my favorite. Uh, this is an interesting take uh, this week on our charity uh, 
segment that we uh, that we do every week here. And uh, um, I was really excited when you suggested this, Miguel. So, um, you know, as, as we all, uh, you know, unless you're living under a rock, um, um, the iconic Hollywood actress, uh, Betty White, passed away just before the new year, just before her 100th birthday. So um, and uh, what a lot of people don't know or, or have come to realize in, in the last couple of weeks since her death was what an incredible advocate she was uh, for uh, for animals, uh, particularly humane societies all over this country. Um, and uh, one of the ones she actually, I mean, kind of almost built with the, the funds that she uh, helped raise and donated uh, was actually uh, a animal shelter in my wife's hometown of San Angelo, Texas. So mm. interesting. Yeah. Um, so it was your idea uh, to kind of, uh, um, well, it's officially over the Betty White challenge. We wanted to kind of uh, extend this and we wanted to uh, donate to uh, uh, the Humane Society. So I, I picked one in Florida um, and uh, I actually had uh, I actually had it incorrect here, Miguel. I was uh, I was looking at Lee County, which is where you live. But there is uh, the Lee County I was looking at was Lee County in Alabama. But uh, there is a Florida Humane Society uh, in uh, Pompano, Pompano. Um, Pompano Beach, excuse me, and the Humane Society of North Central Florida, which is in Gainesville. Uh, I'll be posting both of those in the chat. Um, what was it about the Betty White Challenge that kind of like grabbed your attention um, and uh, wanted to wanted to feature it tonight, Miguel? Uh, growing up, I always had a love for animals um, to where, you know, I collected every animal that I could catch. Um, my mother drive my mother crazy because I had, you know, in, in, in the garage, in the basement, I would have bowls of salamanders and turtles and snakes that I would catch. And then I would take them back out and release them. And so I've always had this love for animals, but I never really had a love. We always had cats, which was growing up. And, but I never really thought much about like the domesticated animals, right? I've always been more of a, like a into herpetology and all that kind of stuff. And in about a year, a little over a year ago, we, my wife and I and our kids, we got our first dog. Mm-hmm. and have absolutely become a dog person. I thought dog people were crazy. I thought they were, <laughs> I thought they were insane. They, they let their dog sleep on the couch and in the bed, and they would have stickers in their car, and I, hey, these people are crazy. I am all that and more. I love my dog, and I cannot believe I'm 41 now, and I was 40 when we got him as a puppy, a little um, mini golden doodle, named Coco, uh, Coco Chaudel, not to be confused with Coco Chanel. Um, and that led me into learning about the SPCA. And, and, and we, my wife and I, we visited a lot of um, places that, that, that uh, take care of strays and donated animals. And, and you go to a lot of these places and you see that, man, they need help. They need support, man. And, and, these are incredible animals. And, and so it's, it's definitely tugged on my heartstrings more than I ever thought it would. And, uh, and when Betty White passed away, I, I just really smiled and thought, man, how many people across the country are probably donating for the first time or, or donating to, uh, to an animal cause for the first time. And, um, you know, I always say God, God gives us uh, a lot of things in life. And one of them is these beautiful creatures, uh, cats and dogs and other animals that, that, that we look after that, that enhance our life. And it's, it's, we, we should give back and we should, we should, it's our responsibility to kind of look after these, 
these creatures that, that God has created and, and um, help them out as best as we can. So uh, hopefully, if it's one or 100 people, hopefully get inspired to do something, make a donation. If it's $10, $20, whatever you feel is right, um, a little bit goes a long way, man. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and we uh, announced last week with on Take 196, the newest member of the Duplessis family, which is Molly. Uh, she's actually here on my feet. Um, she's our, our newest dog. Um, she's a Labrador mix. Uh, beautiful, beautiful girl. And uh, uh, that was our first, the first night uh, I had her was last week. And she came into the studio and she just laid next to me. And I was like, okay, I guess you're going to stick around. So I've, I've got that's a mascot great. now. <laughs> that's fantastic. I think that's beautiful, man. So, um, so yeah, we'll be, uh, I've got some of the sites uh, coming up here in just a second. Uh, the Florida Humane Society, uh, we're going to contribute to the Humane Societies in uh, Miguel's home state tonight. Uh, so you can check out uh, more information at the Florida Humane Society.org. I'm putting this in the chat right now. And then also the Humane Society of North Central Florida uh, there in Gainesville. Um, and uh, really just uh, this is the time that I always talk about with uh, I'm listen, to each their own sincerely when I say this. Um, but there there is something there's something so beautiful when you rescue a dog um, mm. or a cat uh, when you rescue an animal. Um, um, they become, their story becomes in part of yours and, and, and what they give you is so much more than what you give them and what you give them as a second chance at life. And it's just, uh, it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity. I, 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 I've loved dogs since I was little. Um, you know, we, uh, I had to put down my first dog that I owned as an, an adult. Uh, I, I got her, uh, about a month and a half. I don't even know if I was a month after it was a few weeks after I graduated from college. And, oh, wow. uh, and so, yeah, she was with me for almost, uh, almost 20 years. Um, and, uh, we had to put her down about 18 months ago and it was, it was heartbreaking, but, um, she gave, she gave so much to my life. And, and so it's, it's something that I'll do for the rest of mine is, is, is rescue animals in particular dogs, just cause I, I adore them so much. So, um, so I, Here's to uh, the life that Betty White led uh, in so many different ways and so many different avenues and the joy that she brought to so many people's homes uh, for she both was, the two-legged yeah. and the four-legged creatures out there. Absolutely. She was very active in, in, in civil rights. She was very active in, in comedy and writing and, and women's uh, rights. And, and, uh, and obviously animals played a big part in her life. And uh, it's really, really cool, man, you know, um, I, there's, I, I may have been Bruce Lee. I don't know who said it, but to live for eternity is to live a life worth remembering. Um, and I always hear that quote. And I think of people that have done that. And Betty White's one of those people. You know what I mean? More than just an actress, but someone that really lived a great life and, and someone that people will always think about and talk about for many years after she's gone. And that's living a life worth remembering. Oh, absolutely. The you know, it's, it's one thing to live a century and it's another to do as much as she did with it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, 100%. And up, up until the moment she died, she was impactful, uh, in yeah. so many different ways. And so, um, um, we, we honor Betty White tonight and we honor the, uh, humane societies of Florida. Uh, please consider giving, uh, to truly great causes. So, um, 
so diving back here into a couple of a uh, couple of things with Crown Heads before we uh, finish up the night here, Miguel. Uh, and again, I can't thank you enough for being a part of the tonight's show. Um, Always. But uh, we talked about what a year uh, the Crown Heads and Ace Prime had, and it was kind of culminated um, in the fact that um, what a great year you guys had in performance on end of year lists. Uh, I mean, starting with, uh, of course, the most popular, uh, albeit polarizing at times, but most popular of lists, uh, which is the uh, Cigar Aficionado Top 25. I mean, if you're going to make a list, make that one, right? (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, Luciano the Dreamer pops in at number 12. Uh, Lancero. Yeah, a Lancero, which is very, you know, very unusual to make the list. Um, I love that blend. Um, I love that. I love that cigar. Um, I love the traveler as well. The original traveler was just phenomenal. Um, so what a, what a, what a feat for, for Luciano and, and, and by, by proxy, you all, they're crowned heads. And, uh, and that, that must've been really, that must've been really great for you guys to see that, to see that happen for y'all. Yeah. There's a couple different layers, you know, um, last, the, the previous year we had the four kicks Copa Especial made for us by Ernesto Perez Carrillo, make the top 25 list. And, you know, we don't advertise in Cigar Aficionado, and, but we were on the top 25. That was such a great honor. And we've had a couple on their top 25 list. And you're just, you're always very appreciative that people recognize your work, right? Um, but I will absolutely tell you that John and Mike, when, when lists come in, like, hey, John, John the Cigar Man in, in Alabama or somewhere has a top 25 list, like John reads all of that. Mm-hmm. And the fact that someone would go out of their way and say, you know what, I'm a cigar smoker. I love the culture. I'm part of the culture. I have a top 25 list. And this is what I think. And to make that list, it doesn't matter if you're aficionado or, or whoever. It means a lot, man. You know, mm-hmm. people recognize your work. I don't care if you're an artist, if you paint cars for a living or whatever you do. When someone recognizes your work, you're very appreciative of it. And what I'm excited about with the Dreamer, one, it's a Lancero. Mm-hmm. But two, Tobacco Little Pichardo, this is their first cigar in the top 25 list for Cigar Aficionado, where we've had, we've had a handful. This is their first. And, and it's very exciting when the largest publication either be polarizing, I get it, you know. Mm-hmm. But to be on their top 25 list is really a great accomplishment. And when people recognize that, you really, uh, it feels great. But when it's your first um, I can tell you Luciano, Iradio Pichardo, and the entire, all the rollers were over the moon to get that recognition. Because in the end, when you see that top 25 list of anyone's list and there's a cigar on it, it's not just that cigar. It's not just the guy whose name is on the cigar, the people that sell the cigar. It's also the people that are blending, the people that are buying the tobacco, the people that are rolling the cigars, the people that are, that are working the tobacco, the people that are planting the seeds that has vibrations all the way down to that. And they take a lot of pride in that. And so that's what was very exciting was for a guy like Luciano and his team to get that recognition, especially on a size that is very polarizing, um, feels really damn good. What's unique and which is exciting for me is that we have been planning on expanding that, that line. And we announced uh, end of last year that we were going to expand it to some new Vitolas to make it a full online. 
Um, and so we added a Toro Deluxe, a Bellicoso, and a Hermoso, which we're going to debut at TPE. It's available to every retailer, regardless if you go or not. But that, so that line will now expand. So even if you're not a Lancero smoker, you'll be able to enjoy that blend in three sizes that translate very well in that blend. So it's a very exciting time uh, to be Crown Heads and Ace Prime. But man, it is such a great thing to see a guy, those guys win their first you know, aficionado because it is such a big deal still in the industry um, to be on a top 25 list. So it's very, been very, very exciting. Um, and, and, and hopefully some people that maybe don't smoke Lanceros will maybe take a look at that Lancero and say, All right, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try a Lancero. It's not my thing, but I'm going to try it. And I think it'll turn you on. Well, and a cigar that you and I both love came up on my top 10 list this year, uh, yeah. which was the uh, Pichardo Classico Sumatra. Mm-hmm. Um, came in on my list at number seven. Uh, La Coalition made it the previous year, and uh, the previous year before that uh, was the La Carême Robusta that we've talked about so much. Yep, was on my list. Um, but what a performing year for you all on the developing palettes top 25. The Lost Angel that we talked about, TAA. Uh, And those guys are really hard on TAA cigars. So the fact that you cracked the top 10 of their list, that was a number nine uh, for the Lost Angel. And then you guys make it again uh, later on in the list uh, at number 16 with the Crown Heads, Four Kicks, Capo Especial, uh, Anguilas, LE. Aguilas, Aguilas. Aguilas, LE, uh, 2021. Um, And I believe there was another one, another spot. Maybe I'm wrong. Oh, the Fiat Lux came in at, as well at uh, at number twenty five. Yeah. So uh, cracked into the cracked into the top twenty five for them. But three cigars on a very 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 difficult list to make. Um, man, what a what an accomplishment there! That must have been really good for you guys. Uh, yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I, I was just to say the previous year we had Mil Diaz and Four Kicks cop up, and I think in the top five. I mean again, people I respect, people that I know that don't bullshit, you know what I mean? They're going to put the cigars that they really think are the best, that they're not going to let friendships, you know what I mean, influence it. And, and uh, I got to tell you, it's a, it's a big honor, you know, and then developing palettes as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and then cigar, you know, Coop, our good friend Coop also put the, the cigar that I loved last year, the La Colusion. He picked the Siglo, the Sublime was my size. But the Siglo made his uh, top 20. It came in at number 20. Uh, he has a top 30 list, but you guys you guys cracked the list at tw- number 20 this year. And then, of course, Half Wheel um, as well. Um, number 18, your uh, Las Calaveras from this past year, which is a series that, you know, you and I have had this discussion several times. I, I think is the, um, you know, next to the Monster Series that Pete does with Tatuaje, it's like 1A, 1B for me. Um, as far as like seeking it out, always, a, always a great release. Something that I just really enjoy going after uh, is the Lost Calaveras series. So um, that has continued, obviously, with some really great success. What, what you know, for for someone who's been there, um, and you've been there for all of the Lost Calaveras, correct, right, Miguel? Or let's hmm. say for the last four or five of them, I've, four, I've been around. Yeah. So that. Um, that has been such a, a great series for you guys. Um, and it doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. Um, what have, what have you seen uh, in terms of the popularity of that, of that series? And how is that, how, you know, how have you guys enjoyed the, the success of that, that, uh, that project? 
it's it's become a juggernaut uh, in our company. Um, and as you sit the bar higher and higher and higher, it gets harder and harder to meet those expectations. I think John and the My Father Cigar Factory have done an outstanding job at offering us great tobacco, great cigars. John picking the right Vitolas, um, the right look of it. Uh, it's a big deal, right? Because it's a cigar that honors a lot of people that have passed away. It could be people within our families. It could be people in the industry. It could be people outside of the industry. But it just has a huge influence. Uh, good people, uh, initials go on those bands. And that blend, John works on all year, works on the project all year. It's a big deal. And some years, <clears throat> people like better than other years. And that's what you're going to do because Las Cal, the only thing that stays the same is the name. The band color changes. The blend changes. There's... It's reincarnated, if you will, every single year. And it, we breathe new life into it. And that's kind of the idea behind Las Calaveras from the Dia de los Muertos kind of feel to it, that you're, you're breathing life into the souls and people in remembrance. And when we get messages from people say, hey, man, you know, my father passed away and I smoked a Las Cal, you're just blown away by that, you know. And every year it, it just seems to hit the right niche, the right feeling, and it just grows and grows and grows. It's, it went from a little LE back in 2014 to now being a major, major release that we do every summer. And, um, you know, when you mentioned Pete, the, the Monster Series, which has become very iconic in our industry, that Las Cal is, is we, even within the same breath. And we take a lot of respect to that because we have so much love for Pete and what he does over there at L'Atelier and Tatuaje. Um, you know, John and, and, and uh, Pete are very good friends. Um, it's just as an honor to have it be so successful and continuing to be successful every year. People get it. They understand. And um, that's a cigar that people love buying and aging and sitting on. And it's really, it's become such a, a great part of our company and our, our company story. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, what a tremendous year uh, and um, that you guys had in the end of year list. I mean, just really great performance. Another, another banner. And, uh, and like I said, it was a banner year for you guys. And this obviously it paid in dividends as it was recognized by some of our, you know, some of my colleagues in the media, including myself. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so uh, last question of the night before we hit our curveball segment here, Miguel. Um, so I, I told it, I told you we we're going to put a pin in this conversation about the PCA trade show. We're going to have two different discussions about it. So uh, we kind of talked about leading into this year's trade show uh, and what a phenomenal job you guys did of really marketing your new lines, the four new cigars that you guys put out, um, and then, you know, continuing the success of your existing line and portfolios, uh, lines and portfolio rather. But this isn't the first time that Crown Heads has gone into a trade show with really high expectations. And we mentioned the cigar earlier, and that was the Jericho Hill. Mm -hmm. And there have been, I would say over the years, there have been cigars that have been anticipated to be the most highly sought after or the most highly anticipated cigar release. And they end up falling short. The Jericho Hill didn't do that. And this year's performance at PCA didn't do it as well either. They, they both capitalized on the, the kind of the hype to throw a word on it that I'm not really a fan of, but you, not only, you delivered, right? Plain and simple. You all delivered on those expectations and then some. Um, this seems to be a, a, a very nice trend that, that Crown Heads really experiences and everything. And not every trade show is about cigar releases, although you guys have been very methodical and 
about releases over the years and everything, but it seems like it seems like this is a really big trend for you guys where you all have you guys put a great marketing piece, you put a great cigar to market, you bring it to market, and it does incredibly well. Is there a secret sauce? Is there? I mean, like, do I mean, what do you owe this this uh, this success to? I mean, what where where does it come from in your mind? I think that you know, as a company, I think what we found is that you work on the blend way before. Like, there are people that will work on a cigar, get it ready for the show, put it out, and then they'll see how it sells. It depends on how they order the product from the factory, like when we work on a product, we go all in. It's been worked on for a year. Um, John is committed to flushing out ideas and tobaccos, and he's not afraid to settle on a blend and then find another tobacco that is intriguing him to, to maybe switch it. He really kind of listens to his palate, and, and it's really central to what he, he thinks, um, which really speaks to him. And then he takes that to Mike and he takes that luckily to guys like me and a few other guys on the team and say, Hey, um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to just, you know, the hype in my mind, I want to know what you guys really think. And he isn't saying that, you know, to, Hey, give me praise. He wants to know, yay, nay. He wants it all. You know, he wants the full on. And I think because the way it's flushed out, um, that John is very open to, changing to to nailing it down and then really going full force on what he believes is the right cigar um john has never blended to other people palette he's never blended to industry trends he's never blended to popularity he looks for something that speaks to him and i think his longevity in this business since the early 90s um has speaks to his success and and what he at the end of the day he is a cigar geek like you and i and he, he is coming at it not as a numbers guy. He comes at it as, what do I want to smoke? What would I grab for my humidor? I really want to have something that, that speaks to people. And it's not just, hey, um, we got a room full of 20 people. We did some uh, red is, is the color to go with this year. Um, these are the sizes that are trending. This is the name that's really hot. It's tested really well with a test you know, group. None of that goes on at Crown Heads. Um, and I do think that's part of what makes us successful. And I think that's a part that makes us unique. And um, I would be a fool to say that I always think that there's blessings and divine blessings that when you work hard, you put into work and you do it honestly, and you do it with a good heart, that good things come back to you. And I think that's the story of Crown Heads. Mike and John are good people. Um, Irado Pichardo and Luciano are good people. And I think good people, good things happen to good people. And uh, we're, we benefit from that and uh, really want, at the end of the day, to, to a consumer to walk into a humidor and say, you know what, not only do I love their cigars, I trust picking up one of their cigars, quality, consistency, but I also love the company and the ethos that that company stands for. I think that is what's led to the successes back to back, back to back, back to back. Um, that's, the best, that's the best way I could put it, brother. Yeah, it's just it's been it's been a fantastic run for you guys. I mean, since the very beginning. And you know, I, I mentioned Jericho Hill, but let's face it, I mean, it started day one with you. I've, the four kicks was just this highly anticipated, yeah. You know, John Huber's new project. No idea we, what it was we, gonna be. We we could have he could have done CAO 2.0. Mm-hmm. Right. That would have been the easy route, but he didn't. Yeah. You know, and when four kicks was made, it wasn't 
he had so many, I tell the story over and over, but there were plenty of cigar manufacturers who said, Hey, I've got four or five blends here. I think you would like, uh, I'll send them to you. See which one you pick one of those out. I'll make it for you. Um, that's not what John wanted. Um, John and Mike tapped into, um, a relationship with Ernie because Mike had that relationship with Ernie back in the general days and tapped in with Ernie and what he was doing. And, uh, and Ernie spoke John and Mike's language. He said, I'm not just going to give you a cigar. Uh, you actually have to build it. Uh, we're going to go pick out the tobacco. We're going to pick out the fillers, the binders, the wrappers. We're going to pick it. We're going to do these blends together and you're going to pick your cigar, but you're picking the tobacco as well. And I can tell you, that's not how it happens a lot in this business that people yeah. that don't own manufacturing, that a lot of times they just send them blends. But John did, and from the, that set the, I think that set a very positive trend and, and the right heading for Crown Heads that we maintain to this day. <laughs> you know, Miguel, you talked about this a second, uh, a second ago, but actually it's at the top of the show, but, you know, I, I've commented this several times when we've talked on the show and, and just in, in private as well how unbelievable the relationships that that John and Mike have built in this, in, like you were talking about with the manufacturing side. I mean, we, you know, the godfather of boutique cigars and Ernesto Perez Carrillo Jr. You know, in Nicaragua, you, you know, partnered with Don Pepin on numerous projects, including the Las Colas Veras blend that, uh, uh, excuse me, series that we just talked about. And I have, I definitely have high praise for. Uh, as well as some other cigars they he produced for. Then um, La Coalition and Buck Island, you know, it's real estate, Willie Herrera, some fantastic, fantastic blending there. Um, and then, of course, we, you know, we kicked off the show talking about the strategic partnership with, a, um, you know, Erario Pichardo and Luciano Mireles. Um If you could... Go back in time. Now, I know you brought Luciano to the table, as you said, right? So you, you saw, obviously, the potential. But if you could go to a time machine and if I could take you back to pre-strategic alliance and everything like that, if I said, hey, 2022 is going to kick off and the hottest cigars in your portfolio, the most talked about cigars in your portfolio, the most talked about and anticipated releases and everything will be with this factory that a few years ago, no one had ever heard of, really. Yep, yep. Would you have believed it? No, I don't think I would have believed it. I mean, when you're working with Ernie, um, who, by the way, before he won number one, number two, and number one cigar of the year, he was already a Hall of Famer um, mm -hmm. cigar aficionado. Um, my father, who at the time was probably the hottest cigar maker in the industry in Nicaragua, had really kind of come into its own. Um, no, I, I don't think I would have believed that at all. And at that time... Um, I was friends with Iradio and I was friends with Luciano and their factory was a very small factory in Nicaragua called Hatue. It was a very, very small factory. So to have said, Hey, it could be this factory your friend owns. I'd have said, there's no way. This is, this, <laughs> there's, there's no way because they're, 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 they're a small factory, very humble. They make a lot of cigars for the international market, not the American market. And then to look back now and say, wow, um, they play such a, an important part of our success. And I think we've have really helped them and guide them into success for this American market for their products. And we've both thrived and become some of the most talked about brands in the industry. Um, it's been incredible. It's been absolutely outstanding. And the manufacturers um, that we have, the relationships are, are incredible, but 
at the end of the day, I hate using that word, but I use it a lot. It's really up to the consumers and the retailers to say, yes, we like what you're doing. Yes, it's working. Yes, we love it. And that has all come around. And so every day, there isn't a day that I take it for granted at all. You will never see me up on the high horse. I believe humble and just keep working and keep grinding because I truly believe at the end of the day, if you really, truly love this industry, you realize how long cigars and tobacco have been smoked. We are but a blip on the screen of the history of this product. Mm -hmm. And no matter if you do 20 years, 40 years, 60 years, ultimately what you're doing is you're carrying the flag of this industry, of the culture, and carrying it to the next generation. It could have died out in the 80s, kept it alive, and thriving more now than ever before. That's really what it stands for. All this work. So, um, you know, I asked this question. We're going to talk a little bit about our converse, my conversation with John at the trade show for just to end the night. But one thing I want, and I, I asked him about the, the, the future of all these partnerships. You know, the one that you have the most at this point have the most uh, limited, I guess, relationship with. And I mean, just because of the cigars you produce, not because of the physical relationship between him and Willie is Drew Estate and Willie Herrera. I mean, do you guys, uh, do you all see an expansion in that arena or is it, you know, I know John takes it as it comes. Like we said, we've talked about before, he's very methodical in his decision-making and stuff. And, but do you guys see an expansion in that relationship as far as producing cigars? Well, I can tell you right now, um, I think we're both in a situation where Jewish state is selling every cigar they could possibly roll. Um, I know it's hard for them to keep up with contract and relationships but I hope in the future, John and Willie are always – look, I didn't see La Coalition coming. We, we did Buckeye Land with them, and, and La Coalition kind of came out of nowhere for me. I was like, wow, okay, we're going to do something, regular production. So I wouldn't be surprised if they're always working on something. It just it has to be the right time, the right place. Mm-hmm. And I think all of us are in a, in, a, in, a, in a place right now where both companies are thriving that Willie and, and John will always work together. I mean, who knows? Maybe we'll do something at El Titan de Bronze one day. You know what I mean? Um, the truth is, is that uh, I never know what John's working on or thinking, but I can tell you that <laughs> it, 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 his love for guys like Willie, his love for my father and, and, and Ernie is, is incredible. And whenever he says, I got an idea, and I think this is the right guy to do it. Um, I just kind of, jump on and go for the ride brother he uh he's always been a, a gentleman of, of playing his cards close to the vest and it's what? something that i was i've always uh respected about john and respected about the work that crown heads does is and they don't there's every move is deliberate like we've talked about everything is very intentional yes it's something that i've always admired about him so this is something i wanted to i thanked you in person and i thanked you numerous times there are a lot of amazing iconic people in this industry. And I've had the great privilege of having conversations or interviewing them on the show in one, or in this case, uh, like yourself several times. One of the people that I have wanted to meet for as long as I can remember and have a conversation with, because I've just wanted to dive just a little bit into their head and just understand a little bit more about them 
has been John Huber. And I've wanted that opportunity for so long. And, and the, the guys at uh, Cigar Coop Coalition will tell you that we made a list of people that we wanted to talk about. We wanted to talk to um, at this year's past at this past year's trade show. And at the top of my list was John Huber. I was like, I want to interview John and you are obviously instrumental in making that happen. And it did not disappoint. It was an incredible, it was a conversation. wasn't even an interview, which is what I like. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was eye-opening and invigorating, enthralling, entertaining, and very deep in, and it flew by. It was like 20 minutes, but it, it, it flew by, but in the same time it existed in, in this kind of microcosm of time that I just, I cherished literally every second of it. And I, I can't thank you enough for helping make that happen. So thank you. No, brother. We, we always enjoy, um, you, whenever you and Coop swing by and your guys' team, it's always a joy to see you guys because we, you know, we, we, the amount of work that you guys put into this business. I mean, you know, you, you for many years did a lot of time over at Michael's, your show, all the things that you do, all the work you guys put into it. Um, there's a lot of people that you can go, go and see and, and that you make time for, for us goes a long way. So we appreciate you guys and, and what you guys do. And again, whenever we can do anything for you guys, let us know, man, we're, we're there to support you. And at the end of the, at the end of the day, again, I want to say it again, it's, <laughs> it's up to all of us to carry this flag and keep it going. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you got a chance to sit down and talk with John. Some of the best conversations I've had with John are just when we're sitting in the office, work is done and we're just smoking a cigar you know, waiting to go home or whatever. And um, it's always just a great, great time to have a conversation and catch up. And he's a, you know, he's a real dude, man, real life, you know, kids, life, family. And at the end of the, at the end of the, uh, at the end, end of the day, day <laughs> we just want to smoke a good cigar, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. So at the end of the day, one question <laughs> remains. It's our curveball segment which is always brought to you by Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust. Fastballs or curveballs, it doesn't matter. Since the company's inception, Steve Sock has been knocking them out of the park six consecutive years in the consensus top three. He's going for number seven this year. We'll see if it happens. All right. We share a lot of different – we share a lot of loves, and I'm going to take us all the way back to take 21, Miguel, where you were the first time – you were guessing, it was the first time we met. And what – has become a friendship that I cherish. Um, we have a lot of mutual love for a lot of different things. And every conversation, whether it's about cigars or faith or baseball, or in this case, U.S. presidents, mm. is always a joy. So uh, we have this really weird obsession with U.S. presidents. We got into it that night and we've kind of talked about it since. And, and so I thought this would be an interesting conversation. So um, is this kind of a thing off of one must go, but sort of not. Okay. So here we go. Uh, and cause it's it's typically out of what I would assume would be out of character for you. Cause you're a very peaceful, calm man Thank for you. all experiences that I've ever had. So, I'll try. <laughs> so you're at a bar. Okay. Andrew Jackson, mm. Abraham Lincoln. Yes. Dwight Eisenhower mm -hmm. and Teddy Roosevelt are in the bar with you. <clears throat> Yes. You can only recruit two of them to be on your side in a bar fight. Who do you pick? Well, the first name that jumps out is Andrew, Andrew Jackson, right? That's one of them. The first one you mentioned. Yes. Yeah. Andrew Jackson, for people who don't know Andrew Jackson, 
Andrew Jackson, uh, they called him Old Hickory. He mm-hmm. was uh, he was a fighter. That man got shot. He got in fights. He was uh, a time where soldiers rode horses, jumped off, and fist fight other people. He was. A brutal man and he uh, an assassin once. Yes. Uh, came up to, him up to shoot him. <laughs> he wound up beating that guy with his cane. And within an inch of his life, man. An inch of the man's life. Um, <laughs> so out of all those names, you have to start with Andrew Jackson because Andrew Jackson is not going to stop fighting until he's unconscious or dead. That's just his personality, right? Yes. That was just who he was. Now, the second one's tough. Um, Abraham Lincoln, to me, greatest president of all time. It's my favorite, too. I think he was more of a lover than a fighter. Um, I'd say, I'd say, Abe, get another drink and just to just watch. So he was, he was actually in his youth, he was actually an accomplished wrestler. Mm. So a lot of people don't realize that. But yes, skinny, honest Abe. Yeah. I did not know that. But Abe, I just don't, I just don't see Abe. Uh, I don't see Abe doing it. Um, then you're left with um, Dwight, who is was an American soldier, who was as high up as you could possibly go. So yeah. you know the guy had Supreme some commander of the Allied forces. Yeah, absolutely. The guy had some steel balls. So that guy had to be as tough as nails to get to where he was at. I mean, it, you know, he was at a time where. You really had to pay your dues to get up to that point, right? Um, but but Theodore Roosevelt, rough rider, riding down old San Juan Hill, um, an outdoorsman. I'll be honest, I'm taking Theo. I'm yeah. taking I'm taking Roosevelt because I feel like I could literally see TR rolling his sleeves up, taking a swig of beer, putting his little glasses on the table and saying, All right, boys, let's do it. You know, let's go. So those are the two guys I'm picking. Those are the guys I'm taking. It, I picked these, obviously, very intentionally. Um, Abraham Lincoln for his wrestling days. Dwight Eisenhower, for, you know, he was a soldier. But he was a commander, so that was a you know, diff- different type of resolve, right? Yeah. yeah. Not, not, not to be... Uh, I feel like Dwight may try to go and negotiate a peace treaty. That's, that's yeah. why I, you know... Or he could command, like, half the bar to come with you too like he could so possibly possibly you got to remember though is when he was president there was there was no battles going on he hated him yeah teddy took a bullet gave a speech four-hour speech in the rain like yeah his book saved his life or his 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 many notes when he was uh the bull moose party up there talking he took a bullet right and he had Uh, like a and he had like a dozen kids that's that's you got to be tough if you got that many kids. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I think um, I'm, I'm a Lincoln's my number one president as well. And Teddy, Teddy's a Teddy's a second. Um, but yeah, in a bar fight, I'm taking Andrew Jackson. He's my first round draft pick. They they the thing about the with the attack on the would be assassin is that people pulled the president off this guy. Yes. That's how intensely he was beating the shit out of him. That's the best part about that story is like, no, Mr. President, you're taking it too far. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I know the guy tried to kill you, but now you're going to kill him. Oh, man. And, and, and if you read, if you read, like I've, I've read his biography, I mean, the guy, Andrew Jackson is just, um, 
just an unbelievable life that that guy lived. I mean, such a a lot of bad. Yeah, a lot of polarizing. A lot of bad shit that guy did. Uh, I think there was, I think it was down in Louisiana where they told him, don't go in. And he said, screw it, I'm going in. You know, he just, I mean, the Trail of Tears. I mean, you know, I have friends that are Native Americans that still don't want a bill with his face on it, you know. Um, But as a fighter, yeah. He was probably one of the craziest sons of guns you ever met in your life. Absolutely. You're in a bar fight. I'm taking Andrew Jackson every time. They, they, I remember, I think it was actually the Cincinnati Inquirer had written a very bad story about his wife after he won the presidency, but he had not been inaugurated yet. And his wife had passed away, away right before he went into the White House. And, you know, he wrote about how he wanted to go and just he felt that, that person was responsible for the death of his wife. And he wanted to go and, and remove that gentleman's head from his body. I mean, he was he was not a guy to mess with. Yeah, for sure. Old Hickory, very well and aptly named. So that was our curveball segment. And that is the end of tonight's show. Miguel, thank you so much. Knock that thank one out of the park. Yes, sir. Hey, thank you for having me on. And you always touch on all the things I love. President, cigars, brother, uh, baseball. I'm, 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 I'm all in, brother. Always. Every time, man. Been a great conversation. For everyone out there, thanks for our audience sticking with us. All the likes, shares, and comments. Check out our YouTube page. Uh, also, from our hit the subscribe button if you already aren't. Hit the like button on Facebook. You can find out the calendar of upcoming events. We are coming up on Take 200. And we just confirmed today. We've got a fantastic guest. You do not want to miss that out. I'll be announcing that in short order. But you definitely want to check out our Facebook page. And if you are already listening on podcasts, wherever you, live, wherever you listen to podcasts, wherever that be, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean, or iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts, be sure you hit the download, subscribe, and review button as well. If you already are a subscriber, unsubscribe. But don't forget to resubscribe because that helps me get great guests like Miguel every week. So please do that. It helps my numbers. Thank you. And as everyone out there, I'm Barry Duplissy, live from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studio of Azel, Texas. This was Take 197. He's Miguel Shodell. And guess what, everybody? We'll see you next time. <laughs>